South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, and a very good morning across South Texas and the Hill Country and the Rio Grande Valley and over toward Houston and wherever you may be listening to us on the Internet. We are here this morning to talk gardening up until 9 o'clock, about three and a half hours of uh, time to talk about gardening and nature and whatever is on your mind. So uh, Don tells me pretty much got an empty board out there. So give me a call, 210-599-5555. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, tell you what, it has been, uh, weather is just, well, weather always is something to talk about. But man, didn't we make a, a sudden transition from being very cool and pleasant a couple of weeks ago to just unbelievably hot. Yesterday, day before, we got a little bit of a break for it. Or from it, and uh, had a couple of reasonably cool mornings. It was down, gosh, it was in the upper 60s yesterday morning at my house when I headed into work. And this morning it was, uh, oh, middle 70s, not like the 82 and 83 it was uh, before that, though. So, anyway, lots of things to talk about. It is very definitely influencing plants. It uh, uh, means we've got to do a few things, maybe a little bit differently on watering and all, but. We can talk about that. We can talk about, again, whatever you would like to talk about. So, uh, you know, the number, 210-599-5555. We are getting into, well, into time to be thinking about fall vegetable gardening, believe it or not. Summer just started this past week. But if you're planning on putting out fall tomatoes, as I think everybody should, I'm not saying pull up the ones you have now, but always good to plant some fresh ones in the fall as well if you have room. And if you're going to be growing your own from seed, you need to get those transplants started. Another, uh, well, what about two more weeks? We'll be talking about putting uh, transplants in the ground, and it takes up to a month to get a good transplant going. So if you're planning on starting your own seed for fall tomatoes or peppers or eggplant, you need to get that done immediately. And places you're going to be planting anything for fall, you need to start preparing the soil now. Don't wait until the day you're going to be setting out your transplants or planting your seeds. Go ahead and put down some fertilizer. Go ahead and put some compost on top of it. Start watering. You will be amazed uh, a few weeks from now when you actually go to plant the plants or seed. You'll be amazed at the change in the soil. You'll be amazed at how quickly your little seedlings will take off and grow. So... What I do if I'm planting transplants like tomatoes, peppers, and eggplant, I'll put maybe half a cup of fertilizer down and then a couple of cups of compost on top of it, make a little crater up in the top of that, and water it periodically just every time I'm in the garden doing any watering. Uh, places I'm going to plant row crops like beans or okra or you know, things like that, I will actually just put a band of organic fertilizer along the top of the soil cover that up completely with a little layer of compost over that once again just a little groove down the center watering that uh, every few days you're going to find some things when you're actually ready to plant you're going to find out the soil is a whole lot softer underneath probably going to have a little bit of trouble digging a hole or digging a trench without uh, messing up the hundreds of earthworms that you will suddenly find moving into that area but i just i can't emphasize how good it will be to get the soil ready now even though we're not time to really start planting many of our fall crops uh, getting the soil ready is important now if you want to go ahead and even today 
plant for another crop of uh, bush beans, plant for some more okra, plant for some more cucumber. Yeah, you can do that even in the heat. And those are all three plants that just really rarely make it through the summer. We plant them in uh, mid-spring and should be harvesting prolifically right now. But those plants are going to play out, and uh, there's no reason to wait to replant more squash and beans and cucumbers. Those are three things that uh, you you simply make several crops of that through the summer months, and it's certainly time to get uh, certainly time to get your next batch in. And um, ah, just one more thing for you to do. Same thing goes pretty much for. Uh, uh things that are already in there you do want to be taking care of your okra you should be just have a bountiful crop of okra coming on now but two things about okra you've got to keep watering it uh if not daily probably every two or three days whenever that soil is good and dry on the surface give that okra another good shot of water and it will keep producing practically up until freezing weather for you and don't forget to pick if you miss a day or two, you go out of town for a weekend, you come back, you've got these giant seed pods of okra on there, go ahead and cut them off. Even if they're too big, even if they're too tough to eat, uh, you want to get them off the plant because that's what will stimulate that plant to put on more and more and more okra. So uh, one more thing for you to do, one more note, and then I see that we have Johnny and Crystal ready to talk now. But uh, compost, I talk an awful lot about putting compost on your grass, all the things it does for you. Don't do it now. At least don't do it with the bulk compost. The temperatures have gotten so high that the compost can cause some issues, can cause some temporary yellowing. Now, if you're buying bagged compost, if you're buying fully finished compost, yes, you could still put it on, and I would recommend it anywhere you may have spots that you need to get the grass to grow back in a little bit more quickly. But bulk compost, uh, at this point, I'm going to tell you to wait until early fall, wait until the daytime temperatures get back into the 70s and low 80s, and then it will be one of the very best things you can do for that landscape. Ah, let's go ahead and take a couple of phone calls, and uh, Johnny's first in line. Good morning, Johnny. Hello, good morning. Good morning, sir. Uh, so what I got is I got this uh, oak tree that's been and sitting in front of the house, and it's growing these uh, vines, or I guess these roots are coming up, and mm-hmm. I was wondering how to control that. You just have, like, little sprouts coming up all around the tree? That's correct. Yeah, this is spreading out quite a bit. <laughs> yep, yeah, and and <laughs> excuse me. This is what uh, live oaks do when they are stressed in any way, form, or fashion. Too wet, too dry, too hot, too cold. Uh, the tree says, "Hey, something might happen to me. I better get some babies going down here." They're not growing from acorns; they're actually coming off of the roots, and they're simply called root sprouts. Um, you can mow them off. You can, and and these tiny little things. Uh, my arborists that I rely on for information tell me that on those little root sprouts, we're not really worried about oak wilt getting into the tree through that. So if you want to go in there with your line trimmer, you want to go in there with your lawnmower, you can do that. If you need some exercise, you can actually. I try to just cut them off below ground level, but it's just a natural response of the tree to something that. Uh, you know, some some stress that it perceives, 
and we've had some good rains, but yeah, the soil is still pretty dry, and it is probably just drought stress, but it, it's not a sign of a problem. I mean, the tree's not in danger. The tree's going to grow on, go on growing like mad. This is just a nuisance that uh, you're going to have to find one way or another to deal with. If you want to spray with vinegar and orange oil, you can burn them back without hurting the tree itself, but then you've got a bunch of little brown sprigs instead of green sprigs. So um, I'm going to tell you, mow them off, cut them off with your line trimmer. A lot of people uh, simply switch out underneath the trees where the grass isn't growing well and plant a ground cover like Asian jasmine or something like that instead. But uh, they're called root sprouts. Uh, they're something every oak tree is doing, every live oak is doing right now. And uh, it's, it's just a response to the tree to environmental things going on. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, it's certainly a pleasure to hear from you, and uh, you are certainly welcome. Um, like I say, we still have some open lines, 210-599-5555. Crystal is up next. Good morning, Crystal. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, two questions for you. Easy one first. What is a good variety of a fig tree? There are a lot of good figs out there. Do you have room for it to grow up and make a, a pretty good-sized bush? Yes. Okay. Probably your two best choices, in my opinion, one of them is called Alma, A-L-M-A, like soul, Alma, and the other is called Celeste, and it's sometimes called, uh, sold as Celestial, but either Celeste or Celestial. The reason that I like those two, and there, there are other good ones. There's Texas Everbearing. There are some new ones out of uh, uh, Louisiana, like the LSU Giant and the Purples, but uh, many figs will get a problem with a little fruit weevil that gets down in that what they call the blossom end of the fig it doesn't truly blossom but that little opening right at the base of the fruit uh, you can have these little weevils get in there and they will sour the fig and ruin it as far as eating goes the alma and celeste varieties uh, make a drop of sap, sort of a drop of rosin that seals that off so that the uh, little bugs can't get in there. And that's why they are the two most trouble-free varieties to plant. Now, uh, if you told me that you didn't have much room or you wanted to grow it in a pot, there is a new dwarf fig variety out there called Little Miss Figgy, kind of a cute little play on words there, but uh, that one stays much smaller, can be grown in a pot. Uh, figs are very edible, they're just a little bit smaller, but uh, if you like figs and you want a very reliable variety, Alma and Celeste would be my, my two of choice. Okay, second question is, we have a Santa Rosa plum tree, mm-hmm. and it had started coming out, looked good, and then we had the big freeze. Right. So set it back pretty good. It's come back out, but now it's kind of like it's only on one side. You know, it's kind of it's damaged, I guess, damaged the tree. What's the best thing to do for it? <laughs> Other than pull it out and plant a new one. How, how big is this tree? How, how thick through is the trunk? What, what size has this tree achieved? Um, it's probably about a five-foot tree. It's not a real big tree. It's, you know, okay. the trunk is probably. That a little bigger than your thumb. Okay, and the growth is coming out on the one side. Looks healthy and green, and everything looks okay. Yes. In that case, I would, uh, and and you're not having any sprouts coming up at the base of the tree, right? Nothing at the base. There's one. There's a sprout coming down about halfway up. Nothing okay. at the base. But 
halfway up. And then, like I said, the top of the tree and then the left yep. side of it is, you know, nothing. It's just brown. You're going to have a sort of a one-sided tree for a while. Um, what happened is, and I suspect the side of the tree that died is probably the north side of the tree, and yep. it simply got cold enough that it froze those branches, and in addition, it froze all the little what we call bud primordia, the little uh, dormant things that could make a new limb that you can't even see. Uh, but the other three-quarters of the tree was not that severely hurt, so that's where it's putting out all its growth. With a little selective pruning, you can make it a little bit rounder, but as far as uh, uh, plum production, uh, you should do fine on the half of it that is still green. You want to follow the same things we always do on plums, which means thinning them out real heavily in uh, December or January, you go through thin them out by about uh, 60 to 70 percent. But at this point, it's just wait and see. The tree may or may not decide to put out more limbs on the side that was damaged. What will have to happen if that's going to occur is you won't really see it unless you look very carefully. But the the bark and the little buds that it contains on that dead side is just basically frozen in dead tissue. Uh, just as if the tree had been skinned by, you know, an injury of some sort, uh, the, it, the tree will gradually begin to regrow bark around that side. And along with that, you'll have more buds have formed. You will have the pro you know, possibility of new limbs coming out on that side. But, you know, plums are not going to win any beauty contests to begin with. So um, I, you're just going to need to let it grow. You're going to need to let the side that wants to grow come out and get full. Like I say, every winter when the leaves are off, we go through and thin it out. Um, you may want to, normally after the first year or so, we don't really do much pruning on the big limbs, just taking out the little, the smaller ones coming out. But you want to be sure that the tree never gets so heavy on the one active side that it's in danger of breaking in a storm. And that may mean a little bit of additional pruning. But uh, at this point, I'd be thinking about planting another tree next to it or somewhere else in the area if you have room. But I certainly wouldn't cut this one down. This one has the potential to give you a good crop of plums next year and every year. It's just going to be lopsided and <laughs> a little bit ugly, but uh, that's that's the way it is with uh, plums. They're not super long live trees to begin with, but uh, I'm my guess is a tree that size you can get you can get eight or ten years of growth and good plums out of it. So plant another one if you've got room, and you you do better with cross pollination anyway. But this tree's already shown that it's got lots of life and it can come out. What rec what other what's the uh, varieties do you recommend? This one is a Santa Rosa. I do if have. Our, go ahead. What fruit tree could I plant? Because I've got room for one more. Okay, if you want to plant another plum to go along with your Santa Rosa, I would probably plant Methley M E T H L E Y. Um, uh, it's it's probably the best companion to Santa Rosa out there. There's another one, good one called Bruce. There there's several different ones, but if I was going to plant two plum trees, I'd plant a Santa Rosa and a Methley would be the two I would choose. Okay, perfect. Answered my question. Thank you. Have a great day. You do the same. Thanks for the call this morning. All right. Uh, I don't think we have anybody else waiting right now. So just a couple of other notes. 
about things that you can do, even though it's really hot, even though we seem to have moved away from rain. It's really kind of odd how the weatherman kept giving us about a 5% chance of rain, and yet three out of the last four days we had big thunderstorms blow up up in the hill country around uh, Fredericksburg. They just didn't make it over Bernie, where I am, or San Antonio, where we're sitting today. But... um, uh, don't let that keep you from planting. This is still a good time. As long as you can water, it's still a good time to do any landscape planting you like. A lot of people are adding perennials to their to their gardens because, gosh, there are just so many beautiful things out there. Lantana are just absolutely incredibly beautiful this summer. Many different salvias, uh, the evergreen ones like uh, the Lucantha, the Mexican bush sage, and salvia gregii. Um, those are, well, the Lucantha doesn't bloom as much in the summer, but the beautiful plants set them out and you get a huge crop of uh, blooms in the fall. But the evergreen ones, especially Salvia gregii, just always show off this time of year. The pink, the red, the white, the kind of coral colored one they call salsa. All of them are excellent things if you've got a real sunny spot in the garden. The, uh, the lantanas are just, once again, they're two different types of lantanas. Some that are sort of trailing, basically a white one and a purple one that are trailing. They don't give you as much color in the summer, but they stay evergreen, and then they bloom profusely spring and fall. But your other more colorful varieties, I mean, this is a time of year. They're just growing and blooming. Uh, just beautiful, beautiful show. The new gold, the multi-dwarfs, the... Uh, Dallas Reds, Red Spread, um, Radiation, so many different ones out there. And if you're looking for something really pretty for the sun, no reason at all not to plant right now. There are also, um, you're beginning to find in the nurseries now, they were late becoming available this year, but the Pride of Barbados, those things are just spectacular around town. And you've still got time to get some established, still got time to get blooms this summer. And my experience, if you give them a little water in the winter, even though they may freeze back, they've come through the super bad winters we've had. They've come through dry summers, and uh, Pride of Barbados is just one of those really reliable plants that actually really likes this kind of weather. So looking for something that's going to get about five feet tall, the plant that's really colorful, consider those. The other thing that I think are very underused are the Esperanzas. The old one that we... Uh, have had a lot of the one that gets great big, 8 or 10 or 12 feet tall, the one called Gold Star. If you're going to plant a yellow Esperanza, Gold Star is the only variety to plant. The uh, If you grow seedlings from that or others, you're just not going to have as large bloom heads, not as many of them. But Gold Star is a real champion. If you've got room for a big plant in a sunny spot, it will reward you with intense yellow flowers all summer long. If you don't have that much room, there are a bunch of new, more dwarf forms. Some of them are yellow, especially one with sort of a coral-colored throat is beautiful. There are oranges. There are some of them that really approach red in color. And these things, just they just bloom their heads off. I've seen a plant that was four feet tall with two or three hundred open flowers at a time. Uh, they can be grown in containers or in the ground. They're probably going to freeze back in the winter. But if you mulch, if you take care of them, they will come back out the next year. But the compact, I think compact is a better word than dwarf because they're not really tiny. But uh, the compact Esperanzas are something that you can plant right now. 
really going to give you a ton of color through the rest of the summer months. And then there are the, uh, the what do I call, I guess, the deciduous salvias, the ones that freeze back in the winter but return reliably, reliably even after the really cold winters. Indigo spires, mystic spires, Henry Duhlberg, Farinacea. There's another one called Big Blue. These are all just real champions. Right now they should be absolutely full of blooms. The butterflies love them. The hummingbirds love them. And uh, just choose carefully as far as varieties because some of them, like Henry Duhlberg, are going to stay a little shorter, now maybe a foot or two in height. Some of them, like the indigo spires, are going to get probably five feet in height. So be sure you choose according you know, to the size. There are also salvias, which we'll do in the shade. There's one called the eyelash sage, salvia blepharophylla. There is the old, uh, what they call tropical sage. Uh, the uh, comes in a red and a pink and a white. Uh, beautiful. Uh, it's just incredible things. Come back both from seed and from plants every year. And uh, there's another one they call black and blue sage, salvia garanitica, that will do shade or morning sun, but just the most intense, intense hence dark blue flowers you've ever seen. So if your yard is looking a little drab, I'm not going to tell you to get out in the middle of the afternoon and uh, you know start digging and planting. But these mornings aren't too bad. It does cool off in the evening. And if you think your yard is looking a little bit drab, go visit a good nursery because you're going to find a lot of things you could be planting that will give you a great deal of summer through the rest of this year. And if you want to plant annuals, periwinkles are absolutely spectacular. Try to go with the core varieties or the XDR varieties. These are the ones that are very resistant to that disease, the entomosporium that, uh, I'm sorry, not entomosporium, but phytophthora that so many periwinkles get and just fold up and die. Uh, the Coras and XDRs, some of the newer varieties, just don't have nearly as much problem with that. If you're looking for something different, you will find some of the little, what they call soirees, or little tiny, very dwarf periwinkle. Only gets about six inches tall, but boy, do they ever load up with flowers. But those you can certainly be planting right now. Uh, marigolds can go in right now. Annual salvias can go in. Uh, little yellow things like the Dahlberg daisies, pentas of all sorts. Just there's no reason to have a drab landscape. And if you choose carefully, uh, again, you can have things that will go all the way up till freezing weather and then come back again next spring. You'll have other ones that will just continue to grow through the winter months, uh, even if they stop blooming. And then, of course, your native things like your blackfoot daisies, things like your... Uh, uh, the, the little ones that we call Damianita. Oh, I could go on and on and on. But it looks like right now it's uh, we're coming up on news time. Uh, give me a call if you got a question. This is a live show today. You're listening to KTSA Radio in San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. And there are a couple of open lines there. We're going to talk to Pop and Billy next, but uh, you know how busy it gets later in the show, how hard it is to get through all those busy signals and long waits? be a great time to dial that number you just heard, 210-599-5555. But I hate to keep people waiting, so let's get started. Pop is first in line. Good morning, Pop. How you doing, guys? Good morning. Uh, just wanted to touch base with you on a couple of little things, uh, I've, uh, I'm, I'm a beginner in, in, uh, in, uh, doing, uh, uh, different things. I've been planting, um, pineapples. 
We buy mm-hmm. pine weed, pineapples all the time, and I, they told me to put it into the ground or whatever, but I put it in pots. Okay. And I've got going real good. They're, they're very green. They were, you know, brown and stuff at the beginning, and I chipped them up and, and uh, you know, cut off the dry. But they're blooming, not blooming, but growing very well. Okay. What do, what's the next step? Waiting. You want to fertilize them. You want to water them. You want to give them basically full sunlight. They are bromeliad, and um, they have a sort of unique growth habit. They're going to, you know, those the, the leaves are kind of sharp. Uh, they make a fairly big plant. Now, they will not take a freeze. I think you're very right. wise to be growing them in a pot so that you can protect them. But at this point, you want to give them lots of light. You want to fertilize them. You want to water them. And when they are ready, they'll putting up, uh, They'll start putting up a little spike in the center, and it will form a pineapple on top, uh, depending on the variety. It may be a little small. It may be pretty big, but you... Let it get up to, you know, where the little eye-like things begin to open until it's ready to harvest. And uh, then you can harvest and have your own nice fresh pineapple. Now, a pineapple plant only produces one pineapple. That's it. After you harvest the pineapple, the plant starts to just totally die back. That plant's going to die. But around the base of it, it is going to put out more little plants which will come up and usually in about two years they will be forming their own pineapples so that's just the life cycle of a bromeliad but um, uh, the great majority of the bromeliads that people grow are what we call epiphytes the ones that grow up clinging to trees and things like that the pineapple is one of the few that is actually terrestrial that is grown in the soil so grow it just like you would any house plant or any pot plant uh, water thoroughly whenever that soil's dry on the surface feed it every two to four weeks with a good liquid fertilizer like has to grow or something like that and when it is mature enough it uh, it will make a pineapple for you now uh, if it were a flowering bromeliad um, you know we might talk about things that you can artificially do to force it to bloom there's a way that you can force it to make a pineapple if you want treating it with ethylene gas but um and and that's that's really not what you want to do if you want to get have it make as big a pineapple as possible just let it do it on its own time if it gets to be a big plant and it just doesn't want to you know doesn't seem to want a fruit then we can talk about how to, in effect, force it to put on a fruit. You just sort of cover it with a cleaner's bag, put a cup with some, put a couple of apple slices or something in there to rot. This generates the ethylene gas, and that's what forces them to come into bloom. But at this point, no, just treat it like a pot plant, treat it like a house plant, and don't run into it, or it will poke you and cut you. And uh, <clears throat> the fertilizer, you said, uh, has to grow more or less? Yeah. Yeah, Hastergrow makes a lawn uh, form and a plant form. The one that says Hastergrow plant is the one that I really like. Um, they also make one they call liquid, uh, liquid fish blend, which is a very good fertilizer. But uh, if you're just going to look for one that you can use on just about everything, get the Hastergrow plant, and it'll work extremely well for you. Very good. Uh, we, we, we got a, an orange tree. Uh, three, four years ago, at down on Fredericksburg, where they you get together and they got all these uh, plants that they give. 
Yeah. Uh-huh. It bloomed a couple of times, but it's a freeze, boom, 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 the last two or three years. And I followed your instructions to let it grow until you see um, where the freeze knocked off the, uh, right. the, right. the you know, the, the tree there. And <clears throat> I cut it back to the green. It's about 15 feet high. Mm-hmm. I know they flower uh, probably in February thereabouts. Yeah, January, February most years. So what do I do now to try to, uh, to uh, I feed it uh, um, a citrus f- uh, a blend that we buy. Yeah. And, uh, but it hasn't, you know, really, it's about 15 feet high. It's straight up. Mm-hmm. It's not bushy. Uh, it looks very healthy, new new leaves and everything, so it looks good. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, is there something that I need to do to to uh, to begin to uh, feed it or? Yeah, sure. Uh, Just your 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 citrus fertilizer is fine, but so is uh, and in this case, I probably use a dry fertilizer because it's a little easier. Uh, but the same good organic stuff you put on your grass, Medina, Maestro Grow, Nature's Creation, uh, any of those, uh, maybe every couple of months, just put uh, the size you're describing, probably four to six cups of fertilizer just scattered around on the ground all the way around the tree. Uh, let me ask you one thing, though. When when your orange froze back, this new growth that came out, it came out from somewhere up on the trunk, it didn't come out right at the base. Is that correct? Uh, it, it, it didn't die completely. Uh, the, free, yeah. uh, the last two years, it just knocked off about maybe a foot or so on the branches. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's and good. The rest of it came out, so I just cut the little, the little uh, dry spots, and boom, it keeps on growing. But it's it's very thin, not thin, but it's growing up. Very well. The leaves are green. Uh, new growth comes out. It looks good. Well, Pop, but, I'll uh, tell you what it probably is. Uh, those trees that they were giving away, those were probably grown from seed. And they have to go through a maturing process. It can take a few years. So your tree may just not be fully mature. It may not have grown up enough to reproduce. So you're cool. going to need to fertilize it regularly, to water it. If it doesn't bloom for you next spring, it's because it's just still a youngster. It just hasn't matured oh. to the point that it can make fruit. But if it's 15 feet tall, it's getting pretty Pretty close. I'm going to be hopeful that uh, this next spring, January, February, you're going to have a bunch of blooms followed by a bunch of fruit on that. So we'll keep our fingers crossed. And you fertilize and water, but if it takes another year or two, it's just growing up. Uh, it just, you know, when you when you grow a plant from a cutting or when you graft a plant, you're using wood that's already mature, so it can go ahead and make fruit even if it's a very small plant. But when you're growing one from seed, it has to go through that maturing process, and that takes several years. Yours being 15 feet tall is obviously a few years old, but uh, and, and hopefully it's old enough to bloom and produce. But uh, if it doesn't do that for you in January, February, not because you're doing anything wrong. It's just because the plant hasn't matured quite enough. But uh, in the meantime, let's keep our fingers crossed, water regularly, uh, feed, like say, once a month or with something like the Medina Growing Green, Master Rose Texas Tea, Nature's Creations Premium Lawn uh, Fertilizer, Lawn and Garden Fertilizer. Any of those would be great for your orange tree. Yeah, it looks it looks pretty good. Uh, and like you say, uh, if it's young, 
it takes a couple of years to mature, so that makes sense. Because it hasn't frozen down all the way, but the uh, yeah. freezes we've had, <laughs> they've knocked out a lot of stuff on me. But uh, I was wondering about that, that orange tree, because it's about three or four years old. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's growing good. Yeah, and if it's what's a variety, which is what's called a satsuma, which is probably what it is, uh, it's going to be more cold-hardy than the oranges you buy in the grocery store. So, And hopefully we're moving back into the El Nino weather pattern. Hopefully we're going to get away from those super cold winters here. So let's keep yeah. our fingers crossed, and Pop will have plenty of oranges, and we won't have to worry about as much uh, freezing. <laughs> it's like my fig tree. My fig tree made it. And I can't, I can't eat all the figs that I get up there in the morning. I grab yep. my coffee, I grab some figs, and I'm drinking coffee and figs. But I can't, I can't, I can't eat them all. Uh, it's a good thing to do. Uh, you, you're doing well with it. So it was amazing you, on that fig tree. It, it was amazing because it's just loaded with figs. Well, anyway, uh, I thank you very much, and I appreciate you. Uh, I mean. Uh, you, you, uh, you just are great. I appreciate well, you. I appreciate your call this morning. You have a great weekend, and uh, let me see here. Billy, hang on a second. Let me get a quick break in here so I don't get behind. I get to talk about Southwest Metal Roofing System, and golly, that's such a pleasure because I've known Tommy and Rex and everybody over there, Danny, for I don't know how many years. They put the roof on my home a lot of years ago, and uh, how many years has it been? Probably over 20 years now. I've never called them once with a single problem. My roof was complicated. Three chimneys to flash around, balcony around, three sides upstairs. But hey, they did a beautiful job of it. And like I say, not one problem. That's because they do it right the first time every time. They believe in a lifetime quality roof. Uh, as they say, do it once, do it for life. If you want the last roof you'll ever put on your home, then you need a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof. And even if you're in new construction, you build in a new home, tell your builder you want Southwest Metal Roofing Systems to put the roof on, and you'll never have to worry about that roof again. That's what we did at the Groundwater District office up in Bernie. Maybe a new building, but that roof will be there 50 years from now. Southwest Metal Roofing Systems has lots of choices, too, in colors and styles of roofs. They're so energy efficient, they'll save you money on your utility bills. Most insurance companies will give you a discount when you have one of the roofs on your home. Just, you know, if you're looking at a new roof or if you're building a new home, make the right choice. The last roof you'll ever put on your home. A roof from Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. Give them a call, 210-822-6868. That's 210-822-6868 from Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, looks like Billy and Esteban are waiting to talk. Billy's first in line. Good morning, Billy. Good morning, Dr. Webster. How you doing? I'm just off to a good start, prepared to sweat another day, but uh, it's summer and it's Texas, so (laughs) if we expect anything different, we're just deluding ourselves, maybe from the heat. (laughs) Amen to that. I hope this is part of El Nino fixing to take back over. Well, they say the indications are that uh, we are firmly moved into it. We've moved out of what they call inso neutral. Right. We're definitely away from La Nina. And so it can take, you know, two to six months for it to develop, but we're headed the right direction. That's right. Uh, with this heat and everything, what is an ideal height 
to mow your grass? As tall as as high as you can and still have it, you know, looking acceptable. Uh, the taller you can let it grow, and I mean it, not not knee high, but uh, three inches uh, would probably be about right on most grasses. Bermuda maybe a little shorter. It seems counterintuitive, but grass actually uses less water when it's taller. So we let it grow a little bit higher in the summer months and. When we cut, we're just cutting the top off of it. We're not cutting it down where we see a lot of brown. So um, I, I would say if you want an exact uh, height, Bermuda, two, two and a half inches, same way on Zoysia, St. Augustine, three, three and a half inches. Okay, good. Well, the biggest problem is we got some of the, We live out in a rural area. We mm-hmm. got some of that King Ranch, I guess, blue stem that grows oh. six inches overnight. And this time of year, it just jumps up. Yeah, I hate KR blue stem. And as a as a rancher friend of mine <clears throat> once said, he said, you know, I think a cow would probably take a bite of that just about the time it fell over and died from starvation. So <laughs> it's may, maybe those maybe those longhorns down there will eat that stuff. But my cows just look around and say, hey, where where's the good stuff? So uh, St. Augustine will choke it out. And, uh, you know, it may mean, uh, well, you can get out there. You don't even have to use your mower. Just keep those seed heads cut off the blasted KR blue stem. And I'm told there's one that's even worse. They call Kleberg blue stem, which is closely related. Oh, but, uh, yeah, I and, and you, you do want to not let that dominate. But uh, fertilizer and water, eventually your St. Augustine will get tough enough, thick enough to choke it out. Okay. Uh, fall tomatoes, when will they start coming in? I would love to say the 1st of July. That's when we ask the growers to have them ready. But realistically, it's usually about the 15th of July. As long as you get them planted, you know, by early September, you're probably going to be okay. But start looking for them uh, as soon as you see July on the calendar uh, and expect that, (laughs) you know, no matter how much we beg the growers to start them early, they always seem to be, you know, just pulling a little behind. But uh, I'm sure you'll see them by the middle of July. But just keep keep watching after the first of July, and hopefully we'll, we'll start seeing them then. Um, just we've got to get them in in time to grow the big fruit of variety so they will set fruit before we start having cool nights. Cherries don't matter. You can plant cherry tomatoes almost any time, but uh, those big fruited celebrities and tycoons and all those things, start watching for them about the 1st of July, and hopefully we'll have them shortly thereafter. Tell you what, you've got me hooked on some gold now. Oh man, well that's <laughs> isn't that the best little cherry you've ever seen? And if it you is. want to, yeah, it red is. one, uh, sweet one hundred's almost that good. But the combination of incredible production and wonderful sweet tart flavor, yeah, Sun Gold's still my favorite tomato in the garden. Okay, one last question: Solarize the garden. Uh, is it too late to try that now, and how long do I need to wait once I do it? No, it's barely hot enough to do it. The hotter it is, the more effective your solarizing will be. Um, we solarize all the way up most summers until uh, mid to late August, so you've got lots of time. You want to, okay. uh, you want to have your soil moist 
It doesn't matter whether it's black plastic or clear plastic. Uh, Moisten your soil, put the plastic down, weight the edges so it doesn't blow away. If it were really, really hard packed, I mean, what we're trying to do is just, you know, steam clean the soil, so to speak. If your garden was really compacted, this is one place about the only time I would recommend that you might even want to do a little tilling first just so it's looser so that steam can really penetrate. Uh, Then cover it. Uh, moisten it, cover it. About six weeks should be enough to just uh, totally sterilize that soil underneath it. Great. Okay. Now I'm going to put you on the spot. I know you're good friends with Dr. Kirby. He uh, taught my wife into replacing one of our labs with a Great Pyrenees and a St. Bernard Cross. And <laughs> that thing has hey. unbelievable. <laughs> But he just question, wants to sell you more dog have, food. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, we should have stuck with the last. Well, it is good dog. I'll give it that. Oh, they're but wonderful. Question, why does it, yeah, why do they have double dew claws? I, you know, I will I will ask Dr. Kirby that question tomorrow. Um, I, I, a lot of friends with Great Pyrenees. I, I just can't imagine a St. Bernard, St. Pyrenees cross. That's, that's 200 pounds of love right there. But, uh, oh, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I do not have any idea on that one. But, uh, down here on the bottom of my page for Sunday, I'm going to make a note of why double do claws. And, uh, I'll, 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 I'll get him to answer that for us tomorrow. I've, I've tried to call in and never can get in, but I'll get out of church a little early just so I can hear. Well, do that or call me back uh, next week and I'll give you the answer. Okay. I tell you, as soon Great. as I go off the air, which is, you know, 11 o'clock, uh, you don't have to wait till you hear the Beach Boys to let you know Dr. Kirby's coming on. Go oh, ahead okay. and dial. Um, you know, it's, uh, the, (laughs) because he takes even more time than I do to give a full answer to a question. He, he doesn't get in as many calls, but, uh, just, just call as early as you can. And, uh, uh, tomorrow Don will be doing the board. He'll be looking for your call. All right. Well, Bob, I appreciate it. Try and stay cool today. You go uh, love on those puppies a little bit. And be sure, you know, I don't have to tell you this. You're a dog guy. But um, their dogs dogs out there dying of heat stroke. And when you've got as much fur as Great Pyrenees, and, you know, dogs don't sweat. Dogs don't cool off the way um, we do. So uh, it's just just so critical to... uh, be sure they've got plenty of water and a good space in the shade. So I can only imagine. I have a good friend up in Bernie that has uh, at least three Great Pyrenees, and uh, they're just they're just big old white lovers, is what they are. But uh, yeah. no, I'm I, I'm still a Lab and Golden man, and I'm I have no hesitation in saying that. But uh, whatever you like, uh, that's what you should have. Well, he also. The first dog we replaced, we lost two labs, was yeah. with a golden retriever, mm-hmm. and then we did this one. And I kind of missed the lab so bad. We were at a charity event, and I wound up paying way too much money for a, a <laughs> lab. But by God, we got a brown lab now. So you got a, you got a, you got, you know. Hopefully, you'll have a lot of years. I. Huh? I lost mine after 15 years recently, and it just, oh, God, they're just, they're members oh, wow. of the family. They're just four-legged kids exactly. is what they are, but uh, 
No, you get a you get a good lab. And you've got a friend for a long time. So. <laughs> Sounds like you've got a you've got a house full, and I sure I'm glad I don't have to pay your feed. We do. I think, yeah, Doctor Kirby. If you if you're buying your food from him, I think that's why I tried to talk or why he talked to you to that cross. <laughs> well, he's he's quite the salesman, but anyway, I you know well, he's, he's one of he's. It best best veterinarian and one of the best men i've ever known in my life so it's for me i just Amen. consider an honor and pleasure to spend an hour with him on sunday mornings talking about something we both love so uh anyway you get out and uh enjoy this hot summer afternoon we'll talk again billy i appreciate it, we'll do it. thank right. you sir thank you sure goodbye Esteban, hang on just a second i need to do a spot here and i get to talk about sam sitterly so much fun having sam on the panel for uh their organic roundtable at the festival of flowers a couple of weeks ago and by the way wasn't that a wonderful event back out at the house of far where it needs to be uh it was a great thing and i think they're already making plans for next year so keep that in mind but uh again we had the pleasure of having sam on the organic roundtable and just talking to a man who is so dedicated to doing things right, to doing things organically, who's had over 30 years experience in growing, landscaping, taking care of problems, compost tea expert. Sam's the guy that can help you have the most beautiful yard in the neighborhood. He doesn't do things like planting or mowing or tree trim or things like that does do compost tea application does some fertilizer application but his principal job is as your consultant somebody that can help you with problems that may be occurring in your landscape can help you avoid problems can uh, give you some advice about uh, what to plant where to plant it as just he's sort of the guy that stands at your elbow and guides you along to have the most beautiful landscape you've ever had. And like I say, everything he does is organic, so I certainly support his way of doing things. Been at it for lots and lots of years, and he would love to help you. A lot of people set it up where he comes out on a quarterly basis or a monthly basis and just walk the landscape with them and tell them what's going right, what needs a little help. Other folks just call them when they have a question or whether they need some consultation on site. I'm happy to talk to you on the radio. Sam will actually come to your home and visit with you about your landscape. Check out his website, greengroworganics.com. Uh, if it looks good to you, call and make an appointment. Uh, be sure you understand any charges up front, but uh, Sam would love to help you out. The phone number, if you need it, is 210-599-5565, 210-599-5565 uh, for Sam Sitterly and Green Grow Organics. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Esteban, Jim, and Angie. Esteban's up first. Good morning. Good morning. My four-legged son wants to go for a walk. I, I'll throw out a tip for everybody. Go barefoot. If it's too hot for your feet, it's too hot for their paws. But I have a question on a compost pile. Sure. Uh, neighbor throws out... Your, grass clippings on this front yard and I get them. I'm wondering is it a good idea since I compost my coffee filters to kind of layer the coffee filters beneath the grass clippings? It will help them break down faster if you do. You need two things. You need oxygen and water and well along with some microbial life to, to make that paper digest and it'll go away a lot faster. 
won't necessarily, you know, it's not really going to change the quality of the compost. But uh, the thinner, in fact, anything you can do to shred those filters up a little bit, that will certainly help them break down faster. So, yeah, lowering or, or kind of mixing it in with whatever is actively decomposing is what's going to make them go away most quickly. And how about adding some dog poop to that? And doesn't hurt a thing. Yeah, doesn't, doesn't hurt a thing. And uh, there might be a few considerations with cat poop, especially if you have any pregnant or plan to be pregnant women in the family because there's some things there. But uh, dog stuff, no, it's it's fine in the compost pile. You might, might not want to tell all your family what you're doing since you're probably going to put it in your vegetable garden. But uh, it's it's a great way to dispose of it. Thanks for your help, Bill. And you know it's hot when you're sweat-soaked that from running a line trimmer from 7 to 7.30? Well, it's, yeah, it's, uh, we're, we're into summertime in Texas, so it'll change. Just uh, relax for about three months, and then it'll be back to being cool again. <laughs> well, i got to go walk my four-legged friend. You have a good one. Well, you you do it, and, you know, they make little... I can't imagine doing this, but we see people come in the nursery with uh, dogs wearing little booties and things like that. But I'm just going to try to find a grassy place to walk them. You bring up a real good point. Asphalt, concrete can get too hot for uh, for dogs' feet out there. So keep taking care of your four-legged friends as well as yourself, my friend, and we'll talk again. And Jim is up next. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. How are you this morning? Off to a good start. Looks like a pretty morning out there. Yeah, it may be pretty for a while, but we're, I'm getting ready to go out into the heat of the day. <laughs> yes, but, sir. Uh, got, quick question for you. I've got uh, three citrus plants, uh, two Meyer lemons and uh, one mandarin orange. And okay. the leaves are starting to leach. The, the veins are still there, but the, the in between, it's becoming yellow. And we haven't well, overwatered them. So what, yeah. What, what are you feeding uh, with and how often? Uh, Dr. John's recipe. Pretty much. Okay. I mean, hold on. I can tell the tea's going off. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I'm a tea drinker, too, rather than a coffee drinker. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, mine mine got ready a little while ago. But uh, uh, go ahead. But uh, just, uh, I'm just curious. Um, what should I, I – I put citrus uh, – I feed them citrus-specific uh, fertilizer uh, twice, three, about every quarter. Okay. And I don't use a lot of them. These are new. These are transplants within the last year. Okay. So I'm wondering if something else we should look for, or are they on the way out? No, um, they're what- they're going to be fine. Um, two things. Number one, you don't have to go with the citrus fertilizer. Any good uh, fertilizer will be fine for citrus trees. That's, in my opinion, just a gimmick to make you buy something different. I do like liquid products. Uh, are these in the ground or are these in pots? They're in the ground, and I do okay. use liquid products like seaweed, and you know, and I use according to the directions. Um, yeah, well, realize that seaweed, seaweed, God, we'd have a long discussion about this, but uh, seaweed is not really a fertilizer. It's a good micronutrient source, but seaweed is most effective if you spray it on the foliage. Uh, your fertilizer products, uh, which should always be organic, are most effective if they're applied to the ground. But the one thing I would add, and this stuff is just almost magical, but it's called azomite, A-Z-O-M-I-T-E. 
I was talking to somebody about it yesterday and uh, in the profession and we were saying it it's kind of like green sand on steroids it's got not only lots of iron and zinc and all the things that green sand has but it has about 90 other different minerals and things in it and I've seen it you know usually once you have that chlorosis show up those leaves are not going to change the new leaves will come out darker green using azomite I've seen the uh, chlorotic leaves actually green back up again uh, it's a dry rock powder um, put it on water it in good it doesn't burn it's you know you don't have to worry about that at all but um okay. Uh, I, I would add some azomite to the soil around your plants. And, again, you don't have to worry about adding too much. It's it's a little pricey. It's not bad. But uh, how big how big are your citrus uh, plants? How tall, how wide? Yeah, the lemon and orange is what, this, about four feet tall. The okay. iron lemons are probably about uh, two and a half feet okay. tall. Yeah. And uh, we got we got a mulberries, right, too? <laughs> I guess the <laughs> hand identifier is my wife. Um, we have a mulberry the tree that's growing like a weed. I mean, it's oh, yeah. inside really quickly, and it's doing the same thing. Yep, and your mulberries are going to be real susceptible to fungal issues on the leaves, so just be prepared for yeah. that. Mulberry has probably gotten a little dry. That's what we see usually with yellowing in there, but your your citrus, they're, they're just a little starved for some uh, micronutrients. I put about a cup of azomite around each one, maybe two cups around your uh, mandarin, which is a little bigger. Yeah. Go ahead and put some around your mulberry. You're, you're going to have ugly foliage on your mulberry. They're just not pretty trees in our part of Texas. Go over to Houston if you want to grow a beautiful mulberry, or better still, Louisiana. But um, your citrus will will green up, and uh, uh, like I say, azomite's not a fertilizer. Use it in addition to your fertilizer, but probably every six months. Uh, put a cup or two around each tree, and uh, you'll have the, the greenest leaves you've ever seen, and as a result, you'll have better growth and better fruit as well. All right. Hey, I appreciate it. I'll do it. And I appreciate the call, Jim. You have a great day, well, sir. Thanks for the, the phone early this early in the morning, but stand, stand, stay cool. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> and you do the same, and put plenty of electrolytes in uh, in the, that water when you're drinking yeah, it. Yeah. And uh, my, my jug is sitting on the counter. Yes, yeah, so, sir. Well, mine mine are in the refrigerator waiting for me. But uh, and if you're looking for something good, and I don't I don't mind telling you, I. I like there. There's something you can get. I get from Rhonda's Nature's Way. You can also get it at some of the better stores around. But it's called Ultima, U-L-T-I-M-A, and it's uh-huh. really loaded with electrolytes, but no sugars. It's not like these sports drinks that put on the pounds while they keep you healthy. But uh, the uh, Ultima, really, I think it's got about ten different flavors of it. Raspberry is my favorite. But uh, if you want something that will make your water taste better, that will really help you meet the, the needs of sweating a lot. Uh, check out Ultima sometime. I think you really I like know, it. We'll, we'll do that. We'll do that. And I'll ask the, the essential oils lady here. She's the, she's the Uno Natural type. Uh, she knows all <laughs> that stuff. So well, Redmond Red Sea Salt's the other thing that's really great, but just uh, so important when you're a guy like me that likes being out in the heat and all. But uh, you have a great day, and I do appreciate the call. Thank you, Angie. Hang on just a minute. And it will be your turn next. I get to talk about Wild Birds Unlimited. 
And, you know, wild birds, birding is just a fun hobby, and it's not something you have to get into just terribly deeply. But if you simply want to add life, if you want to add color to your landscape, if you want those little feathered friends to take care of a lot of the bugs for you before they start chewing on your plants, well, get into it. Put the proper feeders out. And if you've got kids in your family, children or grandchildren, Get them involved in nature, and there's just no better way than attracting a wide range of beautiful birds in the landscape. Wild Birds Unlimited can help you with that. They have the best in seed blends according to the season. They have all kinds of good suet supplements. They have the best feeders out there, many with a lifetime guarantee. And when it comes to hummingbirds, what do they call them, the jewels of the air or some something like that. But Wild Birds Unlimited has feeders that have the built-in ant stoppers. They even have things you can add to the nectar so it doesn't go sour as quickly. And Wild Birds Unlimited is much more than just a bird store, though. Oh, and by the way, on water, water is so important this time of year. Wild Birds Unlimited, great selection of fountains as well as bird baths of all sorts. And a great gift store. Every Wild Birds Unlimited store shops independently for their gift merchandise. And let me tell you, nobody does it better than Kyle and his staff at our Wild Birds Unlimited out on Northwest Military. One other thing. Uh, my choice of headgear has always been a Tilly hat. I might be trying some new things, too, but Tilly Hats, Wild Birds Unlimited is your headquarters for everything that Tilly makes. Just a great store to visit. Uh, give them a call if you have questions, 210-479-BIRD. Uh, way to find them, they're right out in the shopping center at the corner of Northwest Military and Hebner, kind of on the side that faces Northwest Military. They are there to help you. You will always enjoy a visit to Wild Birds Unlimited. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Looks like my next two callers are going to be uh, Angie and Mac. Angie's in line first. Good morning, Angie. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. My question in the garden today is um, how long should I let my spring tomatoes play out? And I have my... Um, fall ones and already up and growing in the greenhouse but i didn't know how long to leave the spring ones in well that's up to you um your cherry tomatoes your small fruited tomatoes should go on producing all summer long um i frequently have them still producing when the frost gets them in the fall so as long as the plants are vigorous as long as they don't appear to be infested with spider mites or infected with any viruses uh I, you know, I just leave them grow. Now, if you're limited on space, if you're going to have to pull them out to uh, put your new plants in, that's another issue. But if you have room to plant additional plants, leave those, leave the cherries alone. Now, your big fruited tomatoes, if the plants are healthy, they will put on another crop of tomatoes in the fall. But if they're not looking so good, uh, just as soon as you pick what fruit is on them now they might as well go because uh, large fruited tomatoes not going to set any more fruit until the nights cool down but again right. sometimes you know if, if the plants are healthy and you want to leave them there's no reason to pull them out uh, but you okay. know some some folks don't have as big a garden as I do so <laughs> I've got enough yeah, room to plant as many yeah go ahead I don't have a room issue either I've got a really big garden and I the only thing is I didn't know if you know um, it's the new girls and the celebrities. They look pretty good, 
So yep. I just didn't know if I should leave him there. Do I need to cut him back at all or just leave him alone? No, I just leave him alone. I would continue to spray him with seaweed uh, to keep the spider mites from getting started. I, I like seaweed molasses mixed together, like two tablespoons of seaweed, one table of molasses to a gallon of water. Spray with that every couple of weeks, and you'll keep uh, you keep the bugs at bay, and you'll have healthier plants. But uh, uh, no reason to to pull them out. They they have the potential, and it sounds like you're a good gardener. They have the potential to give you more fruit uh, in the fall, and there's just no such thing as too many good ripe tomatoes. Okay, so should I just, when my, I got my seedlings, they're about, gosh, they're already about four inches, five five inches tall. Should I plant Mm -hmm. them or wait? I would wait until they have two good sets of true leaves. You know, the first leaves that come out of those little odd-shaped long things called seed leaves or cotyledons, but uh, I would, I would want those plants to have at least two sets of true leaves and probably that means they're going to be 8 to 10 inches tall. And if you're able to do so, I would give them a little bit of shade uh, at first. Uh, I I grow in tomato cages, and uh, I put those cages on as soon as I put the plants in the ground. Sometimes it's good just to, you know, wrap a layer of insulate around the, or or any other shade fabric uh, around the, the, say, lower two feet of the cage because, they're going right. to not be appreciative of going from your wonderful greenhouse <laughs> out into that blast furnace that we call summer right. in South Texas. But once you've got a couple of sets of true leaves on them, you plant at your convenience. But try to give them a little shade for the first few weeks they're in the ground. That sounds good. Yeah, the only infestation I have are those, what are they called, those things that... Uh, leaf-footed bugs. Yeah, and I, I usually yeah. suck them up with a vacuum, and I put them in the soapy water. There's a great deal of satisfaction <laughs> just seeing those things get sucked down that little vacuum. And and keep an eye out for the new ones, the, the larvae. They're the ones that are red with the black yes. legs. At that stage, the spinosad will kill them pretty well. Uh, but those big ones, yeah, that, that little hand vac is... Uh, it's a little satisfying to the gardener, and it's a great way to eliminate them. So you keep up the good work. Yeah, thank you so much. My only sad thing in my garden is my bees are not here this year, and I'm very sad about that. Well, I the bees are, yeah. Put out, you know, learn about mason bees. Uh, they're a lot harder and tougher, tougher than honeybees are, and uh, they're probably better pollinators. So uh do what I we can for the houses out for them, and Good. nobody's here though. They're just not well, around. Yeah, put them in a in a shady area, and uh, you will gradually build up. There's they're individual bees. They're not colonizing bees like the honeybees. Right. But uh, you're a good gardener. You know what you're doing, so you get out and enjoy. And uh, let me so squ- thank you. Let's get back in here before the news break, if we can. Good morning, Mac. Good, good morning, Bob. How are you? Uh, doing well. Uh, I will say I kind of miss that West Coast temperature that I enjoyed for a few days. <laughs> but it's uh, I'm glad to be back to Texas. I'll put it that way. Well, Bob, I'll, I'll just add to that quickly. I just got back out of Crested Butte, Colorado. Oh, okay. It was, it was pretty pleasant there. <laughs> yes, well, I, it's, it's good to be home. I don't like it as well as I don't, you know, Wyoming's my first love, but uh, Christian Butte's my Colorado destination. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty place, even though the, the rich ones are trying to take it over. But that's a whole other story we could talk sometime. How can I help this morning? 
Bob, I've, I've got a soil question. I think it's the first time for me. Um, when, when watering what is primarily uh, my St. Augustine lawn in some spots, in some areas that I lost uh, due to some just recent uh, tough weather, uh, and I'm not I'm not talking about this year. I'm talking about in the last you know, couple of years when we went mm-hmm. through some, yeah. some severe dryness. Um, Bob, the soil uh, water will just stack up seemingly prematurely where the grass isn't growing. Uh-huh. Um, do I need to address my you know my soil in places? And well, what compost that I didn't apply enough of. But, it, compost would help. Anything that increases microbial activity like Medina Plus will help. But I tell you what I would think about doing, Mac, is uh, putting a thin layer or a quarter to half an inch of uh, lava sand or lava, you know, uh, finely ground lava. Tell you what, let's let's talk about this a little bit more. I'm right up to news time, so just hang on for a couple of minutes and we'll be right back. Everybody's listening to KTSA Radio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. And it would be a very good time to dial. You know, we're getting to that time of day when typically the phone lines really get kind of jammed up. Don tells me pretty light on phone calls this morning, so if you've got that question, don't put it off. Uh, you know that number. You just heard it, 210-599-5555. Um, we're going to spend a little more time with Mac, and then you might be next. So uh, back to this issue of hard, what we would call hydrophobic soil. The water just doesn't want to penetrate. Um, over time, your best solution is going to be, you know, just building up the organic material in the soil. But as hot as it is, and the fact that we have had limited rainfall, thank goodness we've had some, I think the best thing you can do is to put uh, lava sand. Lava sand is actually hygroscopic. These mornings when we have a little bit of higher humidity, it will actually absorb some moisture from the air. And, um, you know, if you want to just mix it with some compost, you can do that as well. If you want to just put your lava sand on and... uh, you know, just leave it there. Maybe at some point as we cool off a little bit, put a little bit more compost on top of it. But the problem with compost is it's worse than garden soil. If it sits there and it dries out, it'll just form a crust on it, and it can be hard as heck to uh, really get it moist. Now, if you had an unlimited uh, producing ice machine, you could always, you know, go out and dump ice on it because it smells so slowly. And uh, I'm serious. That's what I tell people about houseplants and things where they've let them get too dry. You know, you put the water on, it just runs to the edge and down along the sides of the pot and out. But when you put ice on it, it melts so slowly it will get absorbed. Can't very well do that on spots in your yard in most cases. But uh, lava sand, I think, is going to help you out in a lot of ways. And uh, it also brings in some... uh, in most cases, some paramagnetic activity brings in a lot of mineral material as well. But the most important thing is it is hygroscopic in nature, will both attract and hold water. And uh, that's what you're going to need to do to get the moisture in the soil, to get the grass to fill in those spots again. Okay. That's that's, um, that's a resolution I hadn't thought of. It. And, and Bob, just br- briefly going back to so this area where I lost some St. Augustine it, due to some extreme weather, uh, recently... I was supplementing compost, and and I, and I had saw I've seen some progress with my lawn, mm-hmm. and 
possibly, possibly there are some areas where you know, I just didn't keep that compost. I let it get a little bit on the dry side, and, and maybe this is you know, some of the results of that. What what part of the area do you live in, Mac? Uh, Bob, I'm uh, Blanco and Bitters. Uh, okay. Just do okay. just do south a little bit of 1604. Okay, in that area, and I used to live just a little ways west of there when I lived in San Antonio, but if you could cut a cross-section through the soil in your yard all around, you would see a couple of things you're going to see that they're probably found this the hard way. You probably have some areas where you've got rock fairly close to the surface. And even more commonly, you'll have what we call caliche domes. You'll have this big, in effect, uplift of caliche to where it's you know you've only got a two inches or one inch of soil on top of it instead of deeper soil a lot of times you can stand up on the roof of your home and look out there and you can pick out different areas of your yard that are just a little lighter green and that again that's almost always where you've got some shallow rock or where you've got caliche dome underneath there and where you have that uh, and then you combine that with the drought and the excessive heat uh, that's it, it's not at all uncommon, and that's why you'll sometimes have dead patches show up in the middle of what otherwise looks like a very healthy lawn. So uh, don't beat yourself up too badly. It's probably just uh, a learning experience, and you're probably just going to need to. Hopefully, we're not going to get as dry and hot. But if we if it happens like it did last year, then uh, add a little lava sam proactively and. Uh, just keep on putting out that Medina Plus, keep on putting out the molasses, all the things that generate the microbial activity, which long-term is what's going to get your soil back to absorbing and holding moisture better. Bob, Bob it's often a learning experience with you, I'll say. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's not what you do, it's why we do the things. And, the, you know, the old biology teacher and me just can't. It, it's so funny back in the days when my, our friend Alton Grimm was alive and I would get him to do the show every now and then uh, Roberta's husband used to tease me and say you know somebody asks you a question you say blah 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 ask Alton the same question and he says yes <laughs> I can't help it I, I just want you to know the whys as well as the what's back and it's always a pleasure visiting with you I like and I and I appreciate all of it Bob you, you have a good one you do the same, and uh, I'll be thinking of you in Crested Butte and uh, all that good, cool air. But uh, anyway, get out and enjoy, and looks like next in line is Joyce. Uh, good morning, Joyce. Good morning, Bob. But, well, uh, good I, morning I, to you. I, I know this is a garden show, but did I hear you correctly that you lost one of the garden girls? Well, unfortunately, we've lost both of the garden girls in the past six months. and uh, But they had long, very productive lives. I'm still not able to talk much about it. But anyway, it's uh, it's what age just does to things. But uh, Maxwell's my, my primary companion at this point. I'll put it that way. That's fine. And I, I have a garden question, but I'll just leave you with this. Those we love don't go away. They walk beside us every day. That's, that's right. I don't know what that. <laughs> uh, I, my question is kind of a silly thing, but I you talk about potatoes all the time, mm-hmm. and uh, I I never planted potatoes because I'm kind of now into container stuff, but I I buy the organic 
Yukon uh, Golds, and and right. they always sprout. You know, you yeah. say that they trade them with stuff, but I guess they don't. I guess Trader Joe's don't, whatever, because they always sprout. So I usually just cut it off and eat the potato, and that's that. But uh, this year I cut a few of them off that were so big they looked like all little balls on top of the <laughs> potato. Yeah. And so I cut a very thin sliver off and planted it. And it started to grow, and and I have it in the pot, and uh, I have a nice big potato plant there. But what surprised me so is I didn't pay a heck of a lot of attention to them. You know, I'd water them and just kind of had them there. And I went and looked, and around the stem of that thing, I have a whole bunch of green, I mean green, green, green marbles. Now, you talked Mm -hmm. about potatoes shouldn't be greening and right. I covered them all up with soil. But my question is, these things were really green. I mean, not a little bit green. They looked like green marbles. And right. I covered them with, will, will that make the chlorophyll go back away? Or should I just ignore that or, or just discard it and call it a I, I You know, I'm going to tell you, probably you just need to take those little guys and replant them. Uh, chlorophyll is chlorophyll is is produced when sunlight hits something we call prochlorophyll A in the cells of plants. And it, the only thing that really breaks it down is more sunlight. That's why, uh, you know, when we, when we get excessive sun, things tend to kind of bleach out a little bit. And when we don't get enough sun, things get a darker green. But uh, the chlorophyll doesn't really just go away. The sun gradually breaks it down, but then we've We've covered these little potatoes up to keep the soil off, so really not going to be able to turn those into good edible things. But now, you know, I know your space is limited and all, but if you want to grow some potatoes uh, rather than trying to dig up the garden, I just get one of these fabric pots. That's what I've grown sweet potatoes in before. It doesn't have to be real big. It can be maybe half size, 12 inches tall, and you can grow a heck of a crop of, uh, of potatoes in a very small area. And when you've got that, that fabric pot, you know exactly where the where the potatoes are, and you're not going to have to go digging up the whole yard looking for them. So if uh you know if you if you want to grow potatoes based on this unexpected success i would certainly encourage you to do so next spring but um uh potatoes are just amazingly easy to grow and those yukon golds are are great little potatoes uh in the days before they came up with the chemical things that they put on potatoes to keep them from sprouting now and that's why it's great to be going with the organic stuff from trader joe's but what they used to do is called flash freezing and if you ever wanted to try one thing you could do when you get those potatoes is just put them in the freezer just long enough to get you don't want to freeze potato all the way through but just that what they call flash freezing is enough to kill the buds just underneath the stem and that's how they used to do it to keep them from sprouting in the grocery store bins i think if you just keep them cool and uh, don't don't store them for too long. Go out and get fresh ones. Uh, it's not that much of an issue. But there there are natural ways without the chemicals to uh, deal with the sprouts. But uh, I think you might just have some fun growing a few potatoes for yourself. Yeah, and when you mentioned the sweet potatoes, now last year I started some slips, mm-hmm. and uh, 
it and put them in a pot like about a, a 18 inch pot right and so uh, that was fine but it with the summer we had last year and i couldn't really take care of it in a pot like that a black pot so yeah. i they died back and i forgot about them well heck in the march here i have sweet potatoes coming up in that pot <laughs> well so now I, yeah, put the pot in the shade, let the tops grow in the sun if you can. The problem with these black plastic pots is that the soil in there will be super, super, super hot because that black absorbs the heat and the soil just gets that much hotter and it's hard to grow a good potato that way. But the way those sweet potatoes vine, you could have the pot in the shade and the vine will be three feet away out in a sunny spot. And if you want to grow some sweet potatoes and enjoy them, uh, that would be the solution for where how Joyce would do it. Yeah, well, the, the pot, I can't move it. But the thing is, my yard is so shady that it just doesn't get a whole heck of a okay. I'm just going to leave it and see what happens. But let me move on to one other thing just because sure. it's a curiosity to me. And that has to do with uh, a St. Augustine lawn. And uh-huh. I know you have said in the past, that St. Augustine, the only problem with it is, uh, well, not the only, but one of the problems with it is that if you stop watering it, it dies. Right. And so here's the curiosity. I have very shady yard. One side has more sun than the other. But 30 years ago, we had St. Augustine lawns out there. Uh And uh, over the years, I've gotten rid of it and just had mulch and and beds and things. And you'd see a sprig here or there, but I have not had St. Augustine growing in, you know, a St. Augustine lawn in 20 years. And this spring... I started getting St. Augustine, and it is St. I can tell. I mean, the runners, the way it grows, everything about I have St. Augustine coming in up in half of my yard. Nobody around me has St. Augustine. They've all got Bermuda, and I have got a a spreading area of good, solid St. Augustine make a bunch of runners on top of the grass. You know, I know (laughs) it is uh, uh, grass. What in the world could that have been seed that lasts that long? What in the world could do you have well, it it could be, and here's the thing. You know, everybody incorrectly says St. Augustine doesn't make seed. St. Augustine does make seed, but the seed is so tightly held in the little capsule where it matures that there's no way they can separate the seed out to be able to sell St. Augustine seed. But it doesn't mean the grass doesn't make some. It just means that there's no commercial way to produce a St. Augustine seed, but it's it's still out there, and who's to say the good rains that we've had for the first time in a long time, perhaps, you know, the heat has, you know, softened the seed up to where when we finally got some spring rains this year, some of it sprouted and grew. There is also a grass that looks a lot like St. Augustine that they call centipede grass. You might look that up sometime, and uh it's not nearly as desirable as St. Augustine, but it does make seed, and, you know, when it, it's actually sold. I do not think it makes a, a real, real good yard, but it looks a lot like St. Augustine. But it's certainly possible that, uh, that your St. Augustine years ago did make seed over the intervening years, so seed capsules have broken down enough that now it can sprout and grow, but uh, 
Um, it, it's a curiosity. It is very interesting. It is very unusual to have that happen. But uh, it's. I, I saw a really good sign on this recent trip that we took, and it said, Nature never disappoints. And it's just people that watch nature find so many fascinating things out there happening. happening and uh, I, there's some of them that I can't explain, but I still do appreciate and enjoy the fact that it happens. And that's the way I'll feel about Joyce's new St. Augustine. I have no idea where it came from, but I think your hypothesis uh, uh, has, some, uh, has some good potential there. Well, the other aspect of it is when I did have a St. Augustine yard in their area, I used lots. That's when you were promoting, I guess, uh, green sand. And I put several bags of green sand over it. And this stuff is the most gorgeous green. I mean, (laughs) well, that's that's the thing about uh, minerals, unlike most of the nutrient products in fertilizer. You know, they stay in the ground for long, long, long periods of time. So you're you're reaping the rewards of things you did many years ago. So uh, anyway, very interesting. And uh, sure, it's nice to hear your voice. Well, I'll let it go with that. But my thoughts are with you. Thank you, Bob. You're sure welcome, Joyce. We'll look forward to seeing you sometime soon, I hope. And everybody else, hang on. Need to get a little commercial break in here, and then MC will be up next. Looks like I get to talk about Rhonda's Nature's Way. And uh, you know how much I how much I enjoy talking about Rhonda's. I just give Rhonda credit for helping me, along with lots and lots of other people out there, stay healthy through all the challenges that we've had in life over the past few years. I very much believe that a strong immune system is the way to avoid lots of different problems, and plus just to feel good and enjoy life more. And Rhonda can help you with that, regardless of your age, regardless of your physical condition. I mean, her mom just turned 92, and let me tell you, she's a she's a spry 92-year-old, and I have to say that a lot of that comes from knowing how to take care of yourself, knowing what supplements will really help you age well, and what will keep your immune system strong. Rhonda has the experience. She and her staff can help you solve many problems naturally. If you deal with digestive issues or sleep issues or mood issues, you don't have to run the doctor for some sort of prescription. Chances are there are good natural solutions out there. And I was mentioning to a caller earlier the Ultima that I get from Rhonda that I absolutely love as a uh, electrolyte supplement that everybody needs in the heat you've got to if you're going to be working outside you're going to be sweating and let me tell you what the ultima is just a great way to keep your keep your electrolytes up without all the sugars you get in the sports drinks plus Rhonda practices reflexology there at the store they also do the beamer therapy red light therapies your doctor will sure be in support of those just lots of reasons to get to know Rhonda's nature's way always close on sunday open the other days unless it's a major holiday they're Shopping center, uh, shopping center at the corner of I-10 and Callahan, kind of across the parking lot from Shrouds. I look forward to running into you one of these days because I visit frequently this time of year. Rhonda's Nature's Way. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening, straight back to the phone lines. going to be MC Gloria and Beverly. Good morning, MC. Morning, Bob. Morning, sir. How are you doing this morning? Oh, it's just a beautiful morning out there. It's going to get hot, but this is this is a nice time of day still. <laughs> I was going to say it's, it's hard to stay cool, isn't it, Bob? Hey, uh, I got I two you. questions. 
Yes, sir. I put though, those mosquito dumps. I got. I have a uh, two thirty gallon water troughs for the deer. Mm-hmm. I have some exotics. Anyway, uh, the damn mosquitoes. I put two. Uh, I put those uh, mosquito dunks in there. Right. And two different brands I I have used, and now nah, they don't do any good. What could I put in that water trough to kill the mosquitoes or keep a them little, out? Little orange oil. Um, orange oil. Yes, sir. Get uh, Medina. I think packages the best orange oil out there. And uh, okay. how many gallons do you say these troughs are? They're thirty gallon water troughs. Okay. You would put uh, and and do it every few days. Put maybe three or four okay. drops. Just get an eyedropper. Oh. And you oh, okay. use very little of it. It will not harm uh, whatever's drinking out of there. But let me tell you, it uh, we found this kind of by accident. Uh, it doesn't take much, but orange oil is very, very effective at killing mosquito larvae. Well, good. Okay. Another question is, uh, the uh, I heard you talking about putting a hydrogen peroxide in your water troughs. Right. What is the formula? How much should I put that peroxide in there? Well, the only reason to use the peroxide is for algae control. And, right. um, you know, if again, if that's the issue, um, oh, golly, on a 30-gallon trough, I'd probably put two or three cups of it. Uh, do okay. you have, you know, fish or anything in there? Or, you know, do birds frequent it regularly or frogs, either one? Uh, birds drink out of it, but uh, uh, all I have in there now is mosquitoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but, hydrogen peroxide you know. will 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 get the mosquitoes too, but the orange oil will do a little better job of it. Um, with the peroxide, if it's not likely to hurt anything, but when you put your peroxide in, I would put it in in the evening when the birds are mainly through drinking for the day. By the next morning, okay. most of it will have been converted just to water and oxygen. So, um, I, and and plus it'll. It won't make that conversion as fast in the little bit cooler nighttime temperatures. It'll have more time to control both the algae and potentially the mosquitoes. But, no, in, in 30 gallons, I'd probably use uh, maybe a cup just straight out of uh, whether you get it from the grocery store or the pharmacy, wherever. About a cup of the okay. 3%, and that should be all you need. But, uh, yeah, just, just put it in last thing in the evenings, and it'll do a lot to keep your water clear. Well, usually about every two or three weeks, I'll uh, I'll dump them out, clean them out, and wash them out real good, and then I'll fill them up with fresh water. That's always a good always a good idea as well. You know, but but it won't hurt the deer, the peroxide, and no, uh, no. and then uh, the orange oil. Well, Bob, I sure appreciate appreciate the info, buddy. Well, let me tell you one more thing here, and that is if you have a trough that you can't empty. And a few years ago, on top of one of my hills, I, I put you know, like a little rain barn and, and a ground-level guzzler uh, for wildlife there. And, I, you know, I again, it wasn't practical to keep going up there and putting the dunks in or anything else. And I just scooped, a, you know, a, maybe half a dozen of what uh, we call them guppies growing up, but they're usually called mosquito fish, properly called gambusia, out of the creek. Those little guys... Uh-huh eat the main they call them mosquito fish because that's what they eat is mosquito larvae and if you have uh-huh. a tank or anything that you can't empty 
uh, you know, just you know, four, five, six of those guys in there, they reproduce like crazy, and they are the best natural control of mosquito larvae around. Obviously, you can't ever let your tank totally dry up, and you can't, and you probably don't want to the trouble to don't go to the trouble to net them out, empty and refill, and put them back in. But uh, if you have a tank that uh, you know water trough or something like that that you don't empty regularly. Stick a few gambusi in there. It's uh, it'll do a good job of controlling them. They will do a yeah, good job well, of controlling them. A buddy of mine told me to put some guppies in there. So well, I put guppies. I put yeah. guppies in there one time, and God, but you talking about messing my water trough up? <laughs> you, you put too many in there. Yeah, you yeah, put too many in and there. they kept breeding and breeding. I'd go and I only put like three or four in there. And I went out there in about a month later, and there was 50 in there. You got to thin them out periodically. But, uh, you know, they were just, the, you had plenty of mosquitoes for them to eat in there, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Well, Bob, I appreciate the info, buddy. You're certainly welcome. I appreciate the call this morning. Thank uh-huh. you, sir. <laughs> Come uh-huh. on. All right, uh, let me get a quick break out of the way here. Gloria and Beverly will be up next, and uh, let's see here. I get to talk to you about Medina Agriculture, and I love talk. I was just mentioning that uh, Medina certainly doesn't make orange oil, but let me tell you what, Stewart looks for the best quality and the best prices on orange oil, and I think that Medina brand is the best oil you're gonna, orange oil you're going to find for whatever purpose you are using it. But the thing I really like to talk about, is summer fertilizing. It's very important that you do fertilize through the summer months, all of your plants out there. And if you're getting that fall garden ready, I think it's very important to put some of that fertilizer down a few weeks before you actually put your garden plants in there. And many is there to help you with products that are safe to use in the heat. The dry growing green, the liquid has to grow products, the liquid fish blend, all of those things are great summertime products to use to keep your landscape as well as your pot plants, your hanging baskets, things like that, healthy and growing and blooming as appropriate. Medina also makes that great soil activator. The improved form is called Medina Plus that you can use to soften that soil up over a period of time. Also speeds up the breakdown in your compost pile. If you want to see the complete list of products that Medina makes, simply go to medinaag.com. Better still, just go visit a good nursery or garden center that appreciates natural and organic products. and Take a look at all the fine things that come from Medina Agriculture. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening here. It's going to be Gloria and Beverly going to be my next two callers. Gloria is first in line. Good morning, Gloria. Hi, Bob. Hi there. Uh, two, que- two questions today. Uh, we've taken up our tomato plants, which we had a great year of, but um, we want to plant something to replace that, to replace mm-hmm. them. Is it too late for watermelons? Not, well, you know, I I wish I knew what the crazy weather is going to do. Uh, if it does what it did last summer, starts going to 105 every day in that intense heat, uh, watermelons are not going to do going in this late if we have a more typical uh, you notice i never use the word normal in talking about texas weather but a more typical summer uh there's a 
chance that you could get some good melons if we do the usual mid to upper 90s watermelons should do okay so you know you're going to spend a couple of bucks for a package of seeds so i i think it would be worth gambling but it's not a sure thing the way it is earlier in the season now if you enjoy your tomatoes we're just a week or two away of planting a fall crop of tomatoes so be sure you save a little bit of room for those but um okay. i i Watermelons are just, <laughs> it's easy to grow watermelons, but to grow a good, tasty watermelon is a whole different thing. So uh, I'm just not going to be real encouraging there based on how we went so quickly from really kind of a nice, pleasant summer to just an intensely hot one. So um, I, I, it probably, unless you've just got a lot of room and want to experiment, I'm, I'm not going to be real, real high on planting more. Well, we do have room, and uh, it's uh, cheap entertainment for us. So we'll go ahead and try. We'll go ahead and try that. Right now, we have peas and okra and pumpkins, and they're just all gorgeous. Oh yeah, Uh, and and I would yeah, I I would suggest one of the smaller watermelons, uh, not not one of the big Charleston grays or something like that. Your smaller melons will do much better in the heat than the great big ones will. Okay, and uh, my other question. Thank you. Uh, is on the um, cucumbers and um, other squash. At about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, they just wilt. Does that damage them? No. No, and my if you're watering regularly, as I'm sure you are, my general rule is um, if they're wilty in the afternoon or evening, don't worry. If they're still wilty the next morning, uh, then it's time to water them. But a lot of times you're just wilting from the heat in the sun when the soil is still has plenty of moisture. And if you go out and just have more water, you're you're creating a problem because water doesn't hurt anything. But if the soil stays so wet that the water drives all the oxygen out of the soil, that's when roots die and plants die. So uh, uh, generally, wilty in the evening, don't worry. Wilty the next morning, yeah, give them a good drink. Okay, and when um, when we say that, it needs six. It, something needs six to eight hours of sunlight. Is that like direct sunlight, or can it be diffused like some shade? That's generally direct sunlight. Now, uh, okay. it is different whether you're getting morning sun or afternoon sun. But uh, generally speaking, when something says sunlight, they do mean direct sun. Okay. Great. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Great questions. I appreciate the call this morning. You get out and enjoy, <laughs> and uh, we'll talk again, and let me know how the watermelons work out. Thanks, Gloria. Next in line is Beverly. Good morning, Beverly. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Have a cool day, <laughs> wherever that <laughs> That's not going to happen. That was, that was uh, two weeks ago in Oregon and California, but... Uh, I'm glad to be back to Texas, but I, yeah. oh man, that that I don't, I wouldn't want to live there. But it sure is a good escape to uh, get away to for right. a little while. Yep. I think we all need that. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay. Well, I have this issue of flea beetles in mm-hmm. my garden soil, and um, I'm trying to grow a garden in molasses tubs. Uh huh. And it seems that. Um, I guess it it came in with the dirt. I'm mm-hmm. not quite sure, but I have flea beetles. What can I do? Um, 
pick them out and get mad. <laughs> yeah, beetles are tough to kill. Uh, mm-hmm. Anything short of your foot, uh, the adult beetle can be can be difficult to get rid of. Uh, the good news is they don't la- live very long. The good news is that their larval state, which is in the soil, is easily controlled with beneficial nematodes. So uh, while, and you can try spinosad, sometimes beetles you can kill with spinosad, and of course it's totally safe for people and pets. But right, best thing to do where you've got an infestation there is just... Uh, I'd, I'd do it. I'd wait a couple of weeks, and I'd do it again. Treat with your beneficial nematodes. Uh, you're not going to do a whole lot about the adult flea beetles, but you're going to knock out the next generation. And um, I, I, it's one place that I usually twice a year recommend proactively putting out the nematodes. Most pests I'm reactive to because I just don't like even natural things. I don't like putting out uh you know, pesticides and things because they don't want to affect the beneficials. But nematodes yeah. don't affect the beneficials and not that expensive. And I think it's just a good thing to do periodically and especially when we're dealing with troublesome things like beetles, like squash bugs, like uh, a lot of different things, Putting the, uh, even fire ants, you know, they're easily controlled with beneficial nematodes. And I think that's going to be the best long-term solution uh, to the flea beetle problem. Well, I, I, you know, I get have uh, Doctor, the Dirt Doctor's book, yeah, and that's uh-huh. how I've determined. I've I've done the nematodes once, and I was wondering how often I need to do it. I In... go through and pick pick these beetles off. You know, the male ones are the adults. Just, sure, they're everywhere. They're on my comfrey and with oh, yeah. my nurse. Have have your. <laughs> Have you have your little little thing of soapy water that you can just dump them into, but um, typically once you have things under control, doing it twice a year is probably enough. Spring garden and fall garden. When you have an infestation of something like you're trying to get rid of, I would make two or three applications about six weeks apart, and once you've gotten them under control, then I don't think you'll need to do it year, nearly as often. All right. Well, the closest uh, nematodes I could find, um, the box, uh, they're in vermiculite. Right. And I wasn't sure if that's the uh, best kind to get or use. Well, yeah, I I still like the live ones on the Little Blue Sponge. Um, That company relocated to Oregon, and I think there was an ownership change. And for a while this spring, we had trouble getting the volume that we really needed. Uh, they seem uh-huh. to have gotten things under control, and the supply has gotten a lot better. So uh, the dry form of the nematodes will help with a lot of different things. The The ones on the sponge, they put like seven different species of nematodes on there, and it controls a wider range of troublesome things from fleas to grub worms to fire ants to all sorts of different critters in the soil so okay. to speak so um if you were not successful with uh with the dry form make the trip sometime to someone that does carry the live ones and i i know you'll be successful with those okay well i'll have to go hunting then <laughs> hey, there you go close, close enough i guess as far as you know uh san antonio uh 
would be the closest place that would have that type of nematode. Well, I know what what are, what is the closest uh, larger city that you where are you near? Corpus, Corpus Christi. Okay, I don't know who in Corpus would be likely to have them. I know over in uh, Victoria, I know Earthworks. Laura usually can keeps them over there. Um, oh. You might try gills. Uh, a, a lot of people don't keep them in the summer months, uh, even though they should. Uh, but if you mm-hmm. make it up to San Antonio, we certainly have them here at Shades of Green. I know that right. Phanix normally keeps them in stock. I know that Rainbow normally keeps them in stock. But, uh, again, with the heat, lots of nurseries. Uh, you know, well, I won't I won't talk about my other friends in the business, but not everybody works <laughs> as hard in the summer months as some of us do to, you know, have the best of what people need. But uh, you, you'll find them around. And um, I don't know. I know when Hydro Gardens was in uh, Colorado Springs that sometimes that they would ship directly, you know, in a little insulated container. But uh, I don't know if the new folks are doing this out of Oregon or not. So for the time being, what, make a what, trip to San Antonio sometime. I will. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much. And you just kind of stay cool. <laughs> you do the same. And I appreciate your call this morning. Have a wonderful day. And uh, thank uh, Don, let's get our last break of the hour out of the way here. I don't have a uh, recorded and uh, we'll just run. I mean, don't have a live. So let's get the recorded stuff done. We'll be back and talk to Jerry. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, headed up toward the top of the hour, and right after the 8 o'clock news, uh, we'll be having our visit with the Dirt Doctor. But right now, time for a couple more phone calls before then. It'll be Jerry and Thomas, and Jerry is up first. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning. How you doing, Bob? Great hey, show. I know you always hear it, but you do help a lot of people. <laughs> well, it's my normally great my, pleasure. Normally, my British wife calls, but I got a question on fertilizing. So I got three questions. One on fertilizing. Okay. I follow y'all's fertilizing schedule. We use Medina Organics because of the growth. Because I can't cut the grass fast enough here this year <laughs> because of the growth. Do I need to fertilize an additional? Uh, cycle this year no no the the beauty of organics is the nutrient remains in the soil uh with this other synthetically produced material it goes away and that's why you probably only get 10 percent of the benefit out of those other ones that people buy at the box stores and things but medina's products what the plants don't use you know immediately stays in the soil until the plants use that so um, and, and, you know, if you're trying to win yard of the month, if you're looking to grow things as quickly as possible, yeah, you might want to do it quarterly. But once your landscape is established and doing well, you know, once or twice a year is probably all you really need to do realistically. Now, I would be feeding more often vegetable garden, flower beds, things like that. And like say, if you're just trying to get ground cover started or something, no, I would do it a little bit more often. But if your yard is healthy and well-established, no, you do not need to do a lot of additional fertilizing. Okay, sir. I'm retired military, so I've stopped doing the uh, yard of the month competition. Uh, <laughs> Good for you. You talked about fertilizer. I use Medina, like I say. Mm-hmm. I've got a wildflower garden, and I've got it for butterflies and hummingbirds and the monarch and the bees and stuff. 
the there's Medina Hurt the guard the the uh, flower gardens not in any way in fact it contributes to a beautiful flower garden uh, there's nothing toxic in the Medina nothing's going to bother your lizards your butterflies your hummingbirds uh, everything all the reasons you're growing that garden uh, Medina works hand in hand with okay yeah it's all wildflowers that I've got great okay and the th- the last question uh, milkweed. We can only get the uh, milkweed that has the red and yellow blossoms right. on it, flowers. Right. And we heard that, that that is not necessarily that good a milkweed for the monarch butterflies. Where can you get natural milkweed at? Well, there is a native milkweed. Um, it's called antelope horns. Uh, God, I've got thousands of plants on my ranch, and it. Um, I've got to go, uh, like I said, I've been out of town for uh, doing a couple of things, but I need to just kind of go walk over my dam in a couple of places and see if I can gather up some seed just to give away to anybody that wants it. Uh, but it's uh, Google or look up what we call antelope horns. It's an Asclepius, but I don't remember the species. But uh, that is the native one. Now, the so far as I can tell, the only negative that, people have about this so-called Mexican milkweed, the uh, uh, Carvasica that uh, um, is, is the red and orange one you're talking about, is the fact that it brings in beneficials which might potentially uh, go after the larvae of the monarchs. We have not found that to be an issue, and it is still the best and most prolific grower out there. So I don't think there's anything wrong with having that in your garden. But if you want some of the native, uh, look for some antelope horns, and uh, I'll see if I can find some seed on that too. Okay, sir. Thank you very much. Once again, great show. You help all us uh amateurs out here i'm still an amateur myself but i appreciate it jerry let me get thomas in here before uh the break good morning thomas hey bob hey good morning uh i got a dilemma here uh i have a one of these old cabinets in the back and i have some bird netting in there Mm -hmm. well this crazy snake i think it's a a rat snake or chicken uh-huh. snake, not a yep. rattlesnake. It's not poison. This damn snake got in that netting, got all tangled up in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's alive. But I, you know, I had this damn stroke. I can't get down there to yep. cut him out or whatever. So I just wonder if you... Uh, I, it's... Yeah, it's I, I've had him do that same thing, Thomas, and there's no easy way to do it. You almost need a friend, uh, you know, keep a, put a glove on and keep a hand on his head so he doesn't try to bite you. He's not going to poison you, but he's not going to like you messing with him. And then all I know of to use is some little fingernail scissors or something like that. And, uh, you know, just you can sit there with it in your lap and just clip, clip, clip. The, um, the back part of it is probably going to be... Yeah, well, see if you, the, there's no way to get him out without cutting the the net and, and getting him out. Going to have to hold it there because we're just out of time. But, yeah, get somebody that can help you and just snip, 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 get it out. This is KTSA Radio San Antonio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555. All right.
right, back to gardening on a, uh, it looks like the clouds have kind of moved in a little bit. Not not quite as much sunshine out there, and this time of year, that's a very welcome thing. But anyway, we are back to gardening, and this is the time of the show that we have the great pleasure of visiting with the Dirt Doctor, Mr. Howard Garrett. And having been out of, well, actually, I was out of town for one Saturday and then got in so late the next Friday night, we didn't we didn't visit last week, so... Sure glad to be visiting with you, Howard. What's going on in the world? Well, it's about time you got back to work. <laughs> Y'all have a good trip? Oh, it was a fantastic trip. We had a fantastic trip. We spent a little time up on the coast of Oregon and then a little time down in uh, north-central California. And um, just, you know, leave the phone behind, leave all the problems behind not that there are a lot of problems in life but it was just just fun to do something different for a while and i tell you every now and then you just need to go walk through the redwoods to get yourself centered and look up at the top of those 200 foot trees and it just does something for the soul and you know exactly what i'm talking about so it was great it was a little tough uh leaving the redwoods and fog and 55 degrees to get on an airplane and then landing in san antonio at midnight and uh having it already still in the 90s or something like that but anyway it was it was a good escape and my gosh the things that they grow so well up there the roses the rhododendrons it just it would be a different experience to live in an area where just you can practically stick anything you want in the ground and it's going to grow. Yeah, the big trees are really great to visit, but uh, I think I'll take Texas over California You and me totally, but uh, and speaking of Texas, are the crepe myrtles as pretty in Dallas and your area as they are down here? It's I don't think I've ever seen such a spectacular show from the crepe myrtles as we're getting right now. Yeah, it's the same here. I don't think I've ever seen it this good either. And there's one really interesting thing at my office. I've got one of those red ones that uh, Carl Whitcomb came up with. Mm -hmm. I can't yeah. remember exactly which one it is. but Probably dynamite or red rocket. Yeah, it's one of those two. And, and it has not bloomed yet. So, really? Yeah, there's still some weird stuff. It's loaded with buds, and uh -huh. they're about to crack open right now. But I'm seeing the same thing here in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area that you're suggesting, just spectacular growth, I mean, I mean uh, color, and it's all colors, the whites, the pinks, the reds, mm -hmm. all of them. Yeah. The ones that seem to be the slowest, though, are the reds, which is kind of interesting. I'm going to keep, keep an eye on that, and I'll... Uh, I'll let you know, but mine, at the uh, for whatever reason, at the office is way behind. I've got a small pink one. I can't remember the exact name on it uh, either, and it hasn't bloomed yet either. Really, really interesting. That is, and and it's interesting for more than one reason because those are usually some of the earliest ones. But you know, since you mention it. I don't recall seeing a lot of red ones either. The pinks, the lavenders, the whites, yeah, just spectacular. Yeah. But that's and I will I'll I'll be watching with that in mind. I, I I truly have not seen many reds, and that's that is an interesting phenomenon. That's well, the pink one that, that hadn't bloomed yet is a dwarf uh, kind, mm -hmm. so it's a little unusual, and it um, I think it's it's not as tough as some of the others. It's had some its share of uh, 
mildew and the sooty mold and all that, and I did a partial uh, sick tree treatment on it, and it's kicked a lot of that stuff off, but I think it's still in stress a little bit, and that could be be part of it. But the red's not blooming yet. That's, that's a curiosity. And, you know, it, thinking about that, the and I'm not a big fan of the dark-leafed ones, the ones they call the black-leafed ones, but right, um, right. I'm not, not a huge fan to begin with on those, but I have not seen those, have not seen many flowers on those yet. But uh, that's interesting. That's We'll have to have to scratch our heads about that one a bit. I, yeah, and, we'll and, stay on the case. Yeah, well, I got yeah. a little news for you. We finally got the uh, the first proof of the book that we've been working on and talking about now for a long time. And I got a meeting this week to uh, sit down and got still a lot to do to it. And one of the things that um, the people that are going to be publishing it have uh, come back to me on, they've got uh, some questions about some of the photographs, and we've got some missing. missing. And, you know, with the thousands of photographs that I've got, now it's close to 80,000. <laughs> wow. Um, I'm, I'm missing blossom. I don't have a decent picture at all of blossom in right on tomatoes. So if I, if any of the listeners out there uh, have had that problem in the past or have a photograph of that or seen that pop up on your tomatoes, uh, I would appreciate a, a photo. If not, I'll just have to go in and get some stuff off of some university. Sure, right. sure. Isn't that interesting? Of all the photographs I've got, I've never gotten a shot of blossom in right. You know, and it's interesting because uh, we still do the paper edition of the our newsletter. We've gotten to where it's pretty much bi-monthly. But, and, of course, Roberta's a photographer of our group. But uh, and, and, again, hundreds and hundreds. But then there's that one plant, or in this case, that one I won't call it a disease, a syndrome or whatever that you need. <laughs> and you're going through all of these pictures and uh, and there's not one there. So, yeah, I can certainly identify with that. But uh, I, I will, uh, well, you've just asked a lot of people around this area and uh, pretty sure we can come up with something for you there. I but... imagine somebody's got one. i tell you another one that I'm missing too that's funny uh, as well with all the insect pictures I've taken is I don't have a good picture of any ticks. Mm. <laughs> the, one, the one we've got on the website now came out of some university site, uh -huh. and it's kind of a graph thing. It's not that great. So anybody can help me with either one of those, I'd greatly appreciate it. And by the way, uh, and some of the listeners already do this, but whenever you have a question or have an interesting photograph, uh, sending it to us and uh, we can help identify it and a lot of times put it on the website and help some other uh, people as well. So anybody has pictures of anything interesting in our, you know, uh, arena, we're more than happy to uh, share it with other folks. And, and, and tips as well. And what, just info at yeah. DirtDoctor.com? Yeah, info at DirtDoctor.com will get it to us. You can do it to Howard at DirtDoctor.com, but info goes to everybody and it's usually the better way to go and then I don't mess up and it drops through the cracks <laughs> uh, on my computer. You're way too honest Howard you know and it's the things we all do and some of the tips one of the tips that I wanted to pass along to you came from one of my listeners uh, or our listeners uh, a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about uh, I think we were talking about corn water tea 
and uh, you and I have talked about using the paint strainer bags and things like that. And this person was saying um, that you can get something at a grocery store, especially a health food store, that is called a nut milk strainer bag and said that it is the most effective thing of taken that ever found of taking that particular matter out uh particulate matter out so that it doesn't clog up your your sprayer but so they're inexpensive but they're called a nut milk straining bag and uh said they're the best thing you'll ever ever use if you're trying to stay strain out you know some of the compost solids or cornmeal solids or something like that from making a tea and uh that's i you know, always like to pass it along and really appreciate people sharing things like that with us. Oh, yeah, that's great. I wonder where you find that. You can find it online, I'm sure, but I wonder if anybody, hardware stores, stock I think like that. I think they were suggesting a health food store or okay. maybe even somewhere like Natural Grocers or Whole Foods and... Uh, um, I can't remember if it was him or her. <laughs> I talked to so many people, but uh, I believe they said they just got it, uh, and I believe it was uh, might have been Natural Grocers or Whole Foods. But uh, uh, it's I've been to the grocery store in a couple of weeks, but uh, I'm going to be looking for it, and I'll let you know if I find it at one or the other. But uh, yeah, those are the places the they were. And yeah. uh, but anyway, that that was that was a uh, a good tip. Something else that. Um, old friend was uh, suggesting and we talk about different teas and things like that but this lady was saying that she makes uh, rice water and you know Dr. Kirby talks about that uh, take care of uh, gastrointestinal problems with puppy dogs and said it works wonderfully but she said it's the best thing she's ever used on a number of her plants including orchids that she puts uh, I think a few tablespoons of white rice. Uh, I, I wasn't the one that talked to her, so I didn't get as much information as I would like. You know, in two or three cups of water and soaks it. Whether she heats it or not, I don't know. Hopefully she'll be back in and I can uh, ask that question. But said that she just felt like it made an amazing difference in her plants. Have you ever heard of using rice water on plants? No. What kind of benefit did, was she uh, seeing from it? Just extremely good root growth, and of course you see the roots on orchids, uh, on epiphytic orchids, so much more. But root growth, foliage, and blooming. Well, it's interesting that um, she would mention specifically white rice too. That, mm-hmm. That's interesting. Maybe you get more out of the white rice if it doesn't have the bran and the germ on it or something. No, it's in. Never heard that, but that's certainly interesting and uh, worth looking into for sure. Yeah. Well, Dr. Kirby talks about it all the time where dogs uh, are having uh, uh, gastrointestinal distress is a term I like to use. Diarrhea is the more common term. But uh, he said that uh, that, that rice water, and, and he they, he actually suggests uh, boiling it, actually, you know, like cooking rice, but then using uh-huh. the water off of that and says... Uh, it's the greatest thing in the world for setting, settling down an upset tummy that's uh, totally natural. So, well, that's cool. Um, we'll yeah. definitely keep that in mind. We had a little issue. I had a couple of dog uh, things for you. We had uh, Tater's been throwing up, and he had something weird in it, and it turned out to be the last time I went in to buy the little dental uh, chew sticks. Mm-hmm. They didn't yeah. have the ones that I've bought in the past. They had one that's called Greenies or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And he did not chew it up into very small pieces.
that anymore. No. Um, and, and Dr. Kirby says the other thing that he sees, and he doesn't recommend them at all, but the dogs uh, sometimes chew them to the point that they actually get them lodged between their teeth, especially their upper teeth. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then they're just, you know, fighting it with their paws, trying to get it unstuck. And he's had clients that actually had to bring the dogs into the clinic. And then, of course, it's, you know, very simple thing when you've got a skilled tech there <laughs> to hold the dog and get the mouth open. They can get it out. But he's he, he is not a fan of uh those uh, different stick-type things that uh, a lot of people like to feed the dogs. It, well, uh, we don't need to get them anyway because my dogs chew bark and sticks like they're <laughs> going out of style anyway. So they, they, we don't need to be paying for anything. The other thing that, w- that was interesting, I heard your li- listener that called in about the dog. I guess it was a cross between a Great Pyrenees and a Saber or something, having the double dew claws. Well, yeah. Guess who else has double dew claws? My little uh, Nelly, who's laying right here, right now, who uh, climbs trees. Right. The weirdest looking <laughs> double dew claws you've ever seen. And we brought her down to have her spayed uh, from Doctor. Yeah, Kirby. I remember. Right. And he he had her prepped to take the dew claws off, and he said, "You, you sure you want to do this?" And I said, "No, I don't know. What do you think?" He said, "Oh, I wouldn't cut them off." So we still have her uh, do, double do claws, which are really unusual looking. Well, maybe it helps her in that in her uh, her tree climbing antics. Uh, but I just and and I've heard of that occasionally, but I've never asked him about it. But that's very interesting that uh, that you actually had that conversation with him. And um, uh, yeah, of course inter- she's pit bull, bull mastiff, great dane, and <laughs> rat terrier. So. <laughs> She doesn't have any of the uh, crosses that your caller mentioned. I, I remember didn't. when you did the did the guess the uh, the background and then did the DNA test and found out that it was a that, that there weren't any wrong answers and she had a little bit of everything in there. But now yeah, that was a fun time. Anyway, well the uh, the flowers are doing well around here too. We've got some pretty things. We've had the rain spaced out. I was talking to some guys out at the club the other day and. Uh, Rain has come in and spread out better mm-hmm. than it I've ever seen. Now we had some really super hot weather right. last this past week, but even during that time we got some nice rain. And the flowers, the flowering plants are just doing great. It may answer part of the, your question about the uh, crape myrtles. Why the crape myrtles are mm-hmm. so pretty? Oh, I, I don't think there's any doubt because rainwater is just magical and we we had early on we had some really good rains and then it just almost overnight this intense heat hit and the forecast you know says just no chance of rain but um we had several days this past week where evening thunderstorms would blow up especially up over fredericksburg unfortunately none of them moved over um either of us or moved over san antonio but it's sure a lot better than just having that big old high pressure sit down on top of us and get absolutely no relief. But uh, hopefully we are moving it more toward the El Nino um, situation. And uh, glad to hear that you guys have continued to get good rain because it's other than having to mow the grass a little bit more often, it's it's just been a beautiful late spring and early summer. And the periwinkles, especially periwinkles and pentas, 
are two of the Good things that have just been spectacular. Really yeah. Yeah. I'm going to buy, plant some more uh, pensas today, probably, where I had some spring things that were still, I was still hanging on to some uh, <laughs> petunias and a few things are starting to look really weak. And that's that's my go-to plant, lantanas and uh, pentas. I kind of find them hard to, uh, hard to beat. Oh, they definitely are. And uh, the other thing that we've gotten to use quite a bit of, uh, just because it's an interesting foliage, is the little euphorbia. The original one was diamond frost, and there are two or three knockoffs on that out there. But uh, for a, you know, for just a little bit of um, foliage color in there, it's a real pretty thing. And Roberta found, and they haven't grown especially well, but a really broad-leafed Dusty Miller, I mean, with a leaf bigger than a comfrey leaf that is just pure gray-white, and they're absolutely beautiful. It doesn't look like they have the vigor of the uh, old Dusty Miller, but, boy, if we could, it, it's just a pretty thing to have in the garden, too. It's all the bright colors and the pentas and the periwinkles, both, they just really show up against a gray foliage uh, like that and uh just a spectacular plant i'll try to get a picture of it and uh we'll, we'll try I to think learn a little I've bit had more that about it in my in my garden i like it too it's pretty spectacular it's not tough it doesn't hold up uh, mm -hmm. nearly as, as well but uh yeah i like it a lot one of my uh landscape buddies gave me a tip that goes along with that that thought a little bit he recommended planting english ivy that's the variegated English mm -hmm. ivy in yeah. with your flowers, and uh -huh. it, the contrast with it works really well. And I kind of scratched my head when he first mentioned it, and then I tried it, and it uh, works in that same way. That nice contrast. Right. It's not tough. It's not a nearly as tough as regular English ivy or or the uh, Persian ivy or any of those mm -hmm. kind of things. But it's really nice to go with your color plants. People ought to give it a shot. Give it a try. Oh, absolutely, and uh, um, there there are some varieties. It, it's not quite as tough, but they're vigorous. They're, they're certainly not wimps. They uh, uh, and they're two or three. I can't remember all the names, but Glacier and a couple of the others. But that would they be? And some of them are kind of a you know a grayish green and white, and others the white is really pretty distinct on them. But uh, they sure are pretty, and they. Uh, and they, they don't seem to revert. So many variegated plants, you'll get a lot of green spores start coming back in. And uh, But no, the white English ivies. I think there's, I don't even know if they're still around. There was a company in Florida, I believe Herman Engelman and Sons or something like mm -hmm. that. At one point, I think they had 454 different varieties of English oh, wow. ivy out there. And uh, that was one thing that was interesting, too, that we would see, we saw some oh, practically you know, not a big hillside, but like a steep embankment in some different landscapes that was just absolutely solid, uh, you know, practically vertical, but just absolutely covered with English ivy and just as healthy and vigorous as you could imagine. And uh, uh, it sure does like that. I think that was in Oregon rather than in California. But uh, golly, there's just the landscapes up there were just beautiful. It was It was fun to see. One of the things I noticed in Oregon, I spoke uh, in Oregon at one uh, Mother Earth News some mm -hmm. years ago, and I, it really hit me right in the 
face about how gorgeous just the natural terrain was driving around. But on the other hand, it took me uh, forever to get from the airport to the <laughs> hotel where I was going because the uh, traffic was just the worst I've ever experienced in my life. And yeah. I started talking to people when I got there. Why is the traffic so it's a beautiful place, but why is the traffic so bad? And they said, well, people won't let them uh, expand the roads. The environmentalists won't let them improve the uh, road system there. Yeah. So I... I'm not in any real big hurry to go back there. Gorgeous country, no question about it, but lower to well, was the traffic man. Yeah, we, we got out of Portland as quickly as we could. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it, it's such a mixed blessing. Uh, and and I w- we attended in Wyoming a couple of years ago uh, a real interesting Forest Service presentation and talking about why couple of years ago why so many of the fires were so intense and so bad and so much of it was just that so much fuel has accumulated yeah. in a lot of the forest and management. The, yeah. but that it was uh some of these little towns with their well i won't just say uh, I, I won't describe them according to their political leanings but um that they you know, we just wouldn't let them burn where they try to do control burns. Oh, you're going to hurt our air quality. Oh, you're going to cause people some problems. And they said, well, basically, do you want to risk having your houses burned down or will you let us get a, rid of a little bit of this uh, overgrown and now dead vegetation? And that's been a real issue, too, that uh, some folks were holding back some things that would have been much better for the environment in the long run. And Oh, probably don't get me up on that soapbox. <laughs> but there's uh, good logical thinking is in very short supply sometimes these days, and uh, um, it, it's leading to some problems. We'll say uh, not only traffic but others. But yeah, that's we 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 did notice a bit of that, and uh, but uh, we got out of the big cities as quickly as possible and got in a little bit more rural area where it wasn't nearly as bad. Well, everybody enjoy this weather while it's still not too screaming hot, and uh, enjoy those healthy gardens out there, and we'll uh, try to talk about some issues next week, maybe. Oh, much more to talk about. And so overall, you you pleased with uh, how the first uh, how the first proofs came back on the new book? Yeah, a um, young fellow that's working on it did a nice job the first layout, and like I said, we've got really a lot to do, and this is the kind of book that every time I run into something, I want to add it to the book, and I'm going to drive him crazy with that, you know. But yeah, so far, it looks good. It's going to be a very helpful uh, book for people. Well, I sure look forward to it. And have I, it out. They, they tell me I have a somewhat different audience on Sundays than I do on Saturdays, so I'll try to mention it on air again tomorrow that you're looking for a tick and a picture of Blossom and Rotten. We'll see if we can find come up with some of those for you. And in the meantime, you guys get out and enjoy, and uh, don't overheat out there. Well, same to you guys. See you next week. I appreciate look, it. Look forward to it, Howard. Again, as always, thank you so much. Thanks, Bob. Sure. Mr. Howard Garrett is the Dirt Doctor and DirtDoctor.com, best and most accurate website on the Internet. If you're looking for plant information, 
Be very, very careful what you believe because so much of it is not applicable to our area, but what you find on DirtDoctor.com certainly will be. Uh, we're going to take a, a quick break here and time for a few more phone calls. Uh, appreciate you listening here on KTSA. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening on. Oh, it's nice to see these clouds rolling in. So we, not just the intense sunshine yet, maybe it'll be a, a nice morning and everybody get out and get some gardening done. It looks like we are going to be talking to Mark and Kitty and Diana, my next three callers. And Mark is up first. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Bob. Well, good morning, sir. How are you? <clears throat> okay. Yeah, it was another busy week. <laughs> oh, actually, yeah, I... we... Which, which day was it? We had 121 heat index one day. Wow. <laughs> it was 107 and humid. Yeah. I, yeah. When it decided to get hot, it kind of overdid it. <clears throat> right. Yeah. So, um, um, oh, first a comment. Um, the peach crop was really bad this year. Mm-hmm. And, and if anybody wants peaches, they may be too late already. It's um, <clears throat> the, the early peaches were okay. The late uh-huh. peaches, they didn't, they didn't have enough chill hours for a lot of them. <clears throat> wow. Then there, was, then there was a late freeze and then a hail. And so uh, ours, we got maybe less than 10% of what we normally would have. And, of course, you're in the Fredericksburg area, so that's going to be a right. big disappointment to a lot of people that love Fredericksburg peaches like me. But uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll get back to a little bit more typical weather. And that's the one thing when we have a sort of an off year, typically the following year is a bumper year. So we will certainly hope that that yeah. turns out to be the case. Yeah. yeah. So we only had the 10 percent. And then once you take out the 50 to 100 that the birds eat, we didn't get too many. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, we're we're bird oasis, but it's like sometimes it's, it's tough. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a mixed blessing. That's for sure. Yes. Yeah. So, and and some of the and, Orioles and some of the prettiest birds are some of the biggest fruit eaters. Yeah, the orchard Orioles, the summer tanagers, which we have a pair to nest and we love it, and and the uh, golden fronted woodpecker likes to pick them. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, um, um, oh, first question. So I'm spraying again for for spinosad for spider mites, and there mm-hmm. was a mason mason bee sitting there. Do you think it'll hurt the mason bees? I would try to keep it away from them. I know it's bad yeah. for honeybees, mason bees. Um, I I don't <laughs> know on those guys, but I'd I'd sure try to avoid it. Fortunately, yeah. it doesn't have a real long environmental life, so it's not going to leave a residue behind like BT or something like right. that uh, okay. might yeah. on some things. But uh, um, and right. and you know, as you well know, I I love using things like the molasses and all to uh, um, reduce the spider mite issues just because it seems to toughen the leaves to where the mites can't get after them nearly as badly. Well, I was I was doing the um, the uh, seaweed. Yourself. Yeah, molasses and seaweed. Those yeah. two together really seem to do the best job on that. Yeah, I did, I did that last week in combination with the garlic tea and that. Good. Anyway, yeah, I think it helped. Um, the... Um, my bell peppers, uh, I told you a long time ago, they they haven't grown much at all, but apparently they were stunted by getting too cold a yeah. couple times. Yeah. Um, so I, I keep hitting them with, like, uh, has to grow, but they haven't responded too much. Um, do you think 
at this point, should I still keep trying? Would would they even grow at this point if it's 98 degrees? Well, they're you know they're not likely to die from the heat, but we have what is called the compensation point, and that is how much energy it takes a plant simply to stay alive, and then anything above and beyond that they can put into growth and producing, you know, fruit, peppers, whatever. Uh, it's just when the weather is as severe as it's been the past couple of weeks, the compensation point is so high that there's just not much left over uh, for the plants to put into growing. But hopefully, you know, we will get to a little bit more typical situation. So, yeah, I would very definitely, on peppers especially, I'd watch your watering carefully, continue to fertilize, and if the heat moderates just a bit if the compensation point comes down then they're going to reduce they're going to renew their uh production both of uh, foliage and of fruit yeah normally we just count on the growing green granular and haven't been mm-hmm. doing liquid can i do the liquid like every five days would it burn them or, or i don't think it'd burn them but i think that'd okay. be uh, unnecessary i'd do it every two weeks okay okay, okay. they haven't really responded shoot <laughs> okay, I, I I started some new ones from seed. When do you get in your fall vegetables? Hopefully, we ask the growers to have them ready in early July. Sometimes they do, sometimes not. I will have to inquire because uh, they face the same thing. You know, they when the weather gets excessively hot, the yeah. little transplants yeah. just don't grow as quickly. But hoping hoping for early July. Okay. And do you normally get the gypsies? Do you know the gypsy peppers? It's one of the ones we do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They, the okay. growers never produce as many varieties, uh, peppers or tomatoes or eggplant. Never do as many of them in the middle of the summer as they do in the spring. Yeah. So um, uh, we, we'll we wait and see, but we're hoping. I've got four tiny ones. I'll see if I can nurse them to big size. Okay. So the last thing is a kind of a different topic. We we're pretty sure we have one of the two septic systems. The drain lines are clogged with tree roots. Mm-hmm. It's, it, I mean, we're seeing some weird things. It's, uh, I, I guess there's really no way to unclog that. Or do you have any any ideas on that? <laughs> oh, I've you know I with the the only problem that I've ever had in my system is probably you know, 80 to 100 years old, and uh, I get a problem with roots in the line from the house to the, you know, to the drain field, so to speak. And so that's where I would start, just simply with physical uh, removal. You know, a good plumbing company has a good cutter that they can run back and forth. I don't know that you can do that in the drain field, but uh, I think you're going to find that most of the time when you have problems, the problem is in the line from the house to the tank, not from the tank to the drain field. We're we're seeing a slight amount of liquid pooling, like right below the tank. Uh, and 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 the other thing, I'm worried about talking to any of the professionals, in that, that would I be forced to upgrade it to the aerobic system? I hope you know. <laughs> I I would hope not, but um, it would be good. Um, just find a good, uh, you know, a good general plumber and uh, ask them. Yeah. The one issue that I had with my tank a few years ago is that, you know, with the, with the wet or with the wet, dry, wet, dry, wet, dry cycle, where the line actually goes into the tank had separated. And uh, yeah. 
Yeah. You know, it it was very interesting. I I it, this went under a rock wall and all, and uh, I certainly didn't want anybody getting in among oak trees with a backhoe and things like that to work on it. So I dug the trench for <laughs> them uh, to replace that last yeah. six feet of line, and then the guy wouldn't even. Right. He he charged me, hardly charged me anything. He said you did all the work, but I had a a similar problem there. But it turned out not to be a problem with the clog. It turned out that there was actually a physical oh, separation yeah. in the line, which was very easily um, easily remedied. Considering that I dug the trench, yeah. <laughs> it was a, it was a thirty minute job for him to get everything fixed afterwards. But check that out before you do anything yeah. too uh, too extensive. We have a problem. This is all in the middle of these huge oaks that are now like really, really big. Me and, too. And one of one of them is one we just spent eight hundred treating for oak wilt, and yeah. I do not want to have to dig a lot of deep trenches around there. So it's not, no, yeah, it's a, I would not. And if you have to dig any trenches, um, see if you can get somebody to do it with an air spade rather than yeah. uh, with a trencher. But anyway, check that out, Mark. It's always yeah. good to hear okay. from you, and good, uh, appreciate the updates.